0: podcast episode 33 a podcast dedicated to all things the hundred I'm Brittany Perlman and I'm Sarah McCabe and today we'll be discussing season 6 episode 4 the face behind the glass so we're back again very quickly from <laughs> yeah. our last recorded podcast which we did 24 hours ago <laughs> welcome back everybody yes glad to be back um so uh, overall feelings about this episode what do you think I am Loved it. I also loved it so much. Um, this really feels like part two of a two-part episode where the last episode was part one and then this was the conclusion to it. You know, they feel like two halves of a whole.
1: Yeah, like we were saying we, when we watched episode three, we were theorizing the whole time and then this episode just felt like a confirmation or a rejection of those theories. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. And I love how quickly the show is answering all of the questions that we pose, right? So we like, they give us all of the building blocks to... Build our own theories and when they confirm or, or reject them, as you're saying, like it feels so earned because they're giving us all of these clues, right? They're not coming out of left field. They're not just throwing things at the wall and being like, OK, well, like this would be a cool, shocking development. Like they really are giving us the skills and the, and the tools to come to these conclusions on our own in a way. But then they reward us with things that's even more exciting than we could have ever, ever imagined.
1: I mean, I will say this season is moving so fast I never would have thought Josephine would make a triumphant
0: return in episode four yeah and I mean that's exactly what I'm saying is that from what we got from the trailer (coughs) we are so far beyond what we knew about this season it's just amazing to me like how much farther we have to go yeah um okay so before we get into our review again just want to take a quick minute and remind you all to go on itunes to rate and review us it helps other fans of the hundred find us so go do that right now and without further ado we will jump into the recap
1: So, Dioza's making a fire in the woods when a group of motorcycles rides up to her. Rose's bodyguard, Jade, gets off one. Dioza thinks they're going to try to kill her, but Jade has come with a proposal instead. If Dioza can return Rose to them safely, Russell will let Dioza's baby be raised in Sanctum. Baby, not Dioza. Dioza takes the deal and a motorcycle.
0: I am living for Dioza and this bike. Like, yas!
1: I mean, we're getting a lot of great ships in this episode,
0: but let's be real. Is Dioza and bike the best ship? It's the best ship, <laughs> hands down. Dioza and this bike is forever. I stand it forever. <laughs> um,
1: Was Dioza not part of the Marines? She kind of makes her little quip here about the Marines' um, mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought she was a Marine. She seems like she would have been a Marine. I don't know. I think she was Special Forces, so... I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't really know, like, the difference between most of them, but... I don't either. But, like, she seems like the Marine type. Maybe it was, like, some sort of special... Maybe she was,
0: like, a Navy SEAL, which would have been, like, oh, a Navy. Oh, yeah.
1: Maybe... Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. she was a SEAL. Yeah, Emperor I can five. see that. I can see
0: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, And I... You know, just going off of that mantra, you know, I, I... Even if she stole it, it is... Perfect for her. It perfectly encapsulates everything about Diosa, right? Adapt, improvise, overcome. And if there is any character that embodies those philosophies more, it is her, and she does them flawlessly. <laughs> she was honestly the best thing that season five gave us, by far. By- Hands. <laughs> I mean, like she's just such a bamf she, yeah. she is so impressive. It's just amazing how quickly she's able to assess every situation and determine what she can and cannot get out of this negotiation in like seconds whether it's on the on the ring um you know when raven wakes her up and she's like give me the give me the 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 rundown and then figures it out on the fly and the same thing here you know she knows how far she can push jade and what she can get out of this deal and the best she can hope for is a motorcycle so that's what she asks for
1: yeah and my question is Do you really think the Primes would otherwise just, like, let an innocent baby die in the woods with Dioza if she doesn't complete
0: this task? No, no. I think that they think Dioza is the most expendable person and that she's desperate and willing to to put her neck on the line if it means that it'll be for the benefit of her child.
1: I mean, because I think that, like, yes, Dioza is obviously the best and could do this if anyone can. But also, like, if she fails, if she just goes up to them and is like... Hey, I have a baby that needs, you know, taken care of, and she's going to die out here. Maybe you guys could do it. They'd be like, sure, sure. Like, you know, I I feel like she'd be able to
0: finagle the baby into sanctum either way. Maybe, but it didn't seem like they cared about the baby when they threw her out. I think they... They
1: aren't... I don't think they're all truly evil people. Like, anyone would care about an innocent
0: baby out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's true. I don't know. I think in this moment, is weighing her options. And well, sure. I think I think, I think... I think this is easier than begging. No,
1: I totally agree. But I think, like, there's always a plan B or a plan C, Oh, Dioza, sure. You'll sure. be
0: fine. <laughs> and uh, like she was saying, like, she'll teach her how to survive in the woods. is very skilled. She is. I what a mom oh my god (laughs) so great so great
1: simone and russell are in the gardens checking the plants russell is worried about dioza but simone believes that jade will bring rose back still she'd prefer russell to cancel naming day until everyone's safe especially since it's clear they have a mole in sanctum
0: helping the children of gabriel but russell refuses if they cancel gabriel wins so quick question. Um, are the flowers that they're picking special in some way or am I just like really reading way too much into this? Because it feels like like when she's picking them, she says, oh, this one's ready as well. And I'm just curious, like ready for for what? I don't know. Everything about what they're doing now is suspicious to me.
1: I mean, I think this just kind of ties into the suspiciousness of the harvest last episode. Yeah. And like the creepiness that was surrounding the harvest and like what are they harvesting and what are they using it for? Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I'm still kind of down on the whole, like, drug train that they're drugging their populace or, like... Yeah. At least, like, you know, mellowing them out in some way. Maybe these are, like, the poppies from Wizard of Oz or something. Perhaps. Um, but I, I do think there's something special about what they grew. I don't know if it's, like, this specific plant, but it was interesting that they were checking the plant. So they look like flowers, like what, yeah. you know... I don't know what is their what is their function I
0: don't know everything's on the table right now so (laughs) we're investigating all possibilities um but I I love Simone I'm like super
1: into her she's definitely like the practical one of the pair of them
0: oh yeah um because he's obviously like the more idealist
1: (laughs) and the more emotional in Mm -hmm. many ways um which I like that kind of gender reversal yeah um But Simone, like, really just seems to, like, have a grasp on what's going on and what is important. Um, And Russell seems like a bit more of a mess. Bit of it. Bit of it, yeah. Um, But it does sound, according to this conversation, like, Gabriel defected not too long ago. Because it is possible they think that he's still alive. And I think if he had defected, like, a hundred years ago... They're not going to think that him being, you know, the leader of this rebel group who doesn't want the primes to be primes, he's not going to keep going into another body,
0: you know? So, like, right. there's only a certain amount of time he could still be alive. Right. He can't live... He really can't survive past, let's pretend, like, 100. Yeah. For being super generous. Um. So he must have de- defected within the last, let's say, 70 years or so. Which weirdly surprises me. I don't know why that surprises me, but
1: I just feel like... Gabriel I Like the the image I have of Gabriel in my head Is that he wouldn't have gone along With Russell's thing for As long as
0: apparently he did Well we know that he you know worked with him For a long time on it So I don't know I mean it is interesting to think about Like Russell's It feels like his real reason Behind not cancelling Naming Day Is just to like get back at Gabriel And to make sure that he doesn't win And that really indicates to me That there is like this Betrayal Oh, for sure. You know, and I don't think I think if it had been that long ago, like you're saying, this wouldn't feel so fresh and raw to him. And he is clearly upset about the defection um, and losing a colleague of so many years. So, I mean, I I don't think
1: that the primes live like we do, where things seem long ago or not long ago. I think the way that their like reincarnation works is like their their consciousness seems to remember. Pretty much everything yeah. you know that they've been through because their consciousness is literally on a computer yeah it's on a hard drive um so so i don't know i i, I don't know about gabriel i just i'm a little bit surprised that it was so recent and given that his defection may i guess we're not con- it's not confirmed but sounds like it was so recent to go was he with josephine um romantically in the years well, before I that think that's the question Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to find out pretty darn soon. Yeah, like tomorrow. (laughs) Um, But I can't wait because this is a mystery that I'm just like chomping at the bits. Yeah, it's fun to unravel this. Um, It is also interesting how committed Russell is to making this a special day for Delilah. Yeah. He's like, I will not have her day ruined by fear. It almost seems like he is so guilty and he's using like oh it's her special day to like assuage his guilt like making her happy today so that they can bring back
0: Priya at the end of the day yeah it's like um you know fattening up the pig if you if you know want to take this analogy really far you know doing whatever they can to make her as happy and healthy and Glowing um, And as satisfied as she can be Before her time is up Yeah Um. It's really sick So I, I'm
1: curious to see How this kind of mindset Continues about I think Russell Thinks that he really Cares about his people As to whether he like Truly does
0: That's still debatable. In question yeah. yeah But I think he thinks he does Well right I think the image That he has of himself Is this And we can talk about this A little bit more Is this like Dedicated leader Who really is a inspiration to his people and a you know shepherd if you will of his flock whether or not his actions actually make that hypocritical or not is something we could talk about yeah
1: delilah is getting dressed and we see jordan is in her bed jordan says his parents would have loved it here Delilah tells him to unburden himself, which you do on naming day. So Jordan says that he spent his whole life staring at the faces behind the glass in cryo sleep and wishing he could know them. But when he decided to go into cryo himself, he became the face behind the glass, taunting his parents, and he feels guilty for that. Delilah tells him they should take happiness where they can, and they kiss again. Uh, so first off, they must have had a hell of a gym on the mothership, because damn that boy has some apps yeah he's ripped like you can't just get those from like running around and like messing with computers like he would have been like i mean doing some crunches he had <laughs> an entire
0: ship to like build a fake gym for himself so i'm sure i'm sure i am not worried about it like <laughs> maybe they even had a gym i mean i I think that it's likely
1: that they did just yeah. for the crew members um, but also, I love that they they started to have sex last night the night before yeah, and then Delilah was kidnapped and like traumatized and then when she returned, they just like picked back up where they left
0: off. It was <laughs> her last night on earth, man. like her girl was dedicated like if it was my last <laughs> night and I had that like I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have stopped for anything like okay <laughs> I do think it's interesting um that not only does Delilah seem like oddly calm and at ease about her naming day de- I mean like now that we know what this is she does seem very you know kind of casual about the fact that her life is going to be over tomorrow um and that she's also willing to help Jordan unburden here you know it s- it w- it seems counterintuitive to me to like ask for you know to have your uh, other people unload on you when it is your last day on earth
1: you know what I mean yeah I mean I am still questioning how much Delilah really knows about how the naming day process works like does she really know that like her own consciousness will be suppressed or erased um still in question tbd and then someone else's consciousness will come consciousness will come into hers or is she thinking it's more of like she like becomes someone else through like a metaphysical some sort of religious holy means you yeah, know like more.
0: Transmorphic- um, what is it Trans- transmutation sure you i know I, what i'm
1: trying to say i do um i mean i, I just i just want to know like How much does she know? And maybe if she thinks that she's going to literally, metaphysically, become Priya, maybe that's why she's not as scared. Yeah, Because it seems less scary to think of, like, you becoming someone else than you becoming, than you, like, being erased and having someone else take over your body. Yeah, I
0: totally hear what you're saying. I still, I mean, I'm just, it's just a, I guess it's a question of if it's a matter of what she believes or... If she's just so deep drinking the Kool-Aid that it is now no longer scary to her. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: she wouldn't even have to drink the Kool-Aid. That's like she was raised that way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sort of
0: brainwashed into thinking that this is fine. Yeah. Um, which is just scary to think about. Sure. Um, also wanted to talk about this story that Jordan shares about his guilt over the way his parents must have had to watch him behind the glass. It's just heartbreak. This really got to me. I don't yeah. know. Um, I don't. We didn't watch this together because no. you were out of town. But I was in a mess.
1: I mean, I wasn't crying, but I I've, think this scene is just so lovely in the way that they describe being in cryo and and like how that can hurt the people who aren't in cryo. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's also just a beautiful metaphor for um bereavement and grieving in general. I mean, they have like a physical manifestation of that when you have somebody. And literally in cryo in front of you but I think it you know this speaks to kind of the way in which when you die you there's so much of yourself you leave behind the people who love you and this sentiment is just beautifully expressed in this scene and I loved it
1: uh, my question is is it better to you for you to have like a loved one be a face behind the glass or to have your loved one be gone entirely because for me I almost feel like I would prefer them being behind the glass because I know that they are alive and they're safe and that someday they're going to be awake and okay, you know? You can just
0: see them, like, you can go look at them if you're feeling sad or missing them. Sorry, I'm not laughing at you. What you're saying is beautiful and I totally understand, but I have the exact opposite point of view. And I think it really speaks to why you and I are so different and you are very science- left-brained are you left-brained yeah and I'm very right-brained um because I was gonna say the exact opposite thing I was gonna say to you oh I I would never want to be tortured with somebody that I would have to look at every day and wonder about I would rather them I would rather them be gone and then for me to be able to imagine them at peace um and be able to get some closure and move on with my life But I feel like if there was somebody there who I was looking at every day, I would never be able to move on, ever. That's so strange to me
1: because I feel like if my – I'd rather have my family alive and safe and have me in pain
0: than, like, them being gone and me having to move on. You know what I mean? Well, I guess it depends on what they're waiting for. Um, If I knew for sure, like, I guess Harper and Monty do, that Jordan is going to go to have a better life then what is – currently happening around me then maybe but I think yeah I don't know I feel like I would want them to have a full happy healthy life and then to have an ending and then be able to just you know
1: yeah I mean I just feel as parents Harper and Monty I don't think they were tortured as much as um, Jordan thinks they were because I think for Harper and Monty they were like our son is safe our son is going to be okay And we're going to like do everything we can to make sure that someday that he has a world to go back to.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I do think that there's a difference between a parent dynamic and like, for example, like the way that I relate to my family, because I know that if like, for example, my parents were put in cryo and then they surpassed me, like the amount of suffering my parents would go through without me being there would be worse than my own suffering for them. Um, I mean,
1: do you think your parents would rather you be a face behind the glass or be dead? Oh, for sure. Behind the glass. Yeah. 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 Okay. (laughs) Just just some philosophical thoughts for the for the (laughs) hundred episodes. I mean, that's
0: what we do here.
1: (laughs) In the tavern, Delilah's father, Jay, tells Clark and Maddie that today is naming day and they're the guests of honor. The doctor, Killian, pulls Delilah and Clark aside to check their wounds from the previous night. Delilah can remember everything about her kidnapping, and Killian says that after tonight, it will be like it never happened. Then Killian checks Clark's wound and flirts a bit, telling her not to let anyone know she's a nightblood or they'll worship her. Maddie comes up, hoping she can go to a school now that the other kids of Sanctum, uh, with the other kids of Sanctum, but Clark won't let her. She has responsibilities to fulfill as commander.
0: Just gotta say, a good cookie can change your life. No truer words were ever spoken on 100.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was not sure I agree with that statement. A good cookie can change your life. But Jay is very clearly proud of his cookies. His baking in they general. They kind of like the like Toll House cookies you would get in a, um, I mean... Or not the cho- it's the toll house one with the little el- Keebler the Keebler cookies that you would get that have like the little chocolate um drizzled over the top and like the chocolate on the bottom. I don't know, I've never had this cookie. Okay, well, well, that's crazy. That uh soon. yeah, and also that's what they- I like kind of wonder like did the 100 people just like Go out and buy not Keebler have cookies. time to like
0: do real cookies and they just like, "Oh, let's just put some Keebler cookies on." And I don't like- know, but that cake that he was baking looked beautiful it did
1: look beautiful and it's Simone's favorite I'm
0: yeah (laughs) interesting
1: not Delilah's favorite not
0: Delilah not even um Priya's favorite but Simone's. yeah (laughs) um also loved Maddie subtly letting Clark know that she is totally okay with her and Killian getting together (laughs) like I love it it is like fun when
1: you can come of age where you and your mom can like joke or talk about crushes together yeah. um and like maddie's now kind of coming into that age and so it was just like a cute little
0: moment between them. yeah and they've never had an opportunity to do this because it was just them for yeah. a really really long time also maddie's not wrong killian's hot as fuck like super hot <laughs> i'm loving it he, and i just, he's, he's very hot i
1: immediately was shipping this this yeah, episode it, it
0: was like instantaneous yeah also you know him just like Trying to protect Clark from letting The others discover that she's a nightblood By flirting with her was a great choice <laughs> Like you know I, I'm i not saying that I would have preferred him to be like Straight up about it because I think his lying Is a problem but you know I don't mind the flirting is all I'm saying
1: I don't mind the flirting but it was Kind of a, a bad omen girl When Clark was like oh yeah I'd hate To be worshipped like but really Though no. you're gonna hate to be worshipped <laughs> <laughs> No it's bad it, Not good um, so why exactly can't Maddie go to school? Like, is it just because Clark wants her to like hide being in nightblood, um, which is kind of what she alludes to. But then she also is like, you have responsibilities. but it's like the girl can go to school and still study with Gaia. Like there's twenty four hours in a day in Earth days. I actually have no idea about this planet.
0: Um, I mean, I think it's a good question. I do think that the nightblood thing is a problem, and I don't think Clark. Can account for every single mistake or accident that could befall Maddie. And, like, God forbid they find out she's a nightblood would be, like, the worst thing ever. It would be pretty bad. It would be really bad. And I just don't think Clark can really take that chance. But I also... But Clark doesn't really know yet what being a nightblood means, too. But she has a really bad feeling about it. I would say, like, a suspicious feeling about yeah, it. It's enough of a feeling where, you know, she's not taking any chances with her daughter. Um, but also I think I don't know what this training entails. And we we haven't seen a lot of it. And I'm wondering if it's not so much like the training takes up so much time. But they just don't trust Maddie to be around other people. While she's still so impressionable to the forces at work in her mind. Yeah. um, I don't know if it's so much of that like she doesn't have time in the day. And more of like we don't know what kind of threat Maddie is herself to these other people. That's a good
1: point. I mean I feel like i know clark is worried about maddie being discovered as nightblood but i don't think that her being at school is any more of a risk than her just being like around you know like she's still with these people and one little slip up a paper cut anywhere could like you know show people what she truly is so i i I just i i like i kind of get but also i'm like you're playing with fire already. Just having her being in the same space as these yeah, people. Yeah,
0: for sure. I think they're just trying to mitigate the risks as much as they can.
1: And then I, I do like what you said about the impression—not impressionability necessarily, but just her still not having control over yeah. the flame. The flame is still controlling her in a way. And yeah, so. she's
0: very, very young in her training. Yeah, and I think a more established one, or um, Hedda, would not be as susceptible. Yeah. Um, I do really love um, how strongly Maddie stands by her convictions. I think it's important for the show to continue to show us that not only is she still a kid who wants to be normal and do normal things like go to school, but also that at the end of the day, like she she understands the commitment that she made and she stands by it. I think um, that's one of the biggest decisions that will inform her character from now on and it's something we need to be reminded of occasionally. Um, so I just really liked that they made her a kid but at the same time like she's not a normal kid i mean she's
1: a kid but she had to grow up really fast even before clark kind of came to her because she had to hide and pretend that you know she didn't exist um so she wouldn't be taken away to uh become a commander yeah um and like even now like as soon as they put the chip in her i feel like that kind of makes her an adult in weird ways because Mm -hmm. she has this like wisdom that normal children would not have access to sure yeah but i mean i, I agree i love it yeah. i love and i love maddie
0: yeah she does a great job portraying both these kind of aspects of her personality
1: so raven teases jordan about his quote-unquote good night's sleep but um bum but um bum <laughs> and then she notices a photo of a woman with a motorcycle delilah's mother Blythe Anne, comes over and tells raven the woman is priya the first and that she thinks raven will like her Raven is surprised to find that Sanctum has motorcycles. Before she can ask where the machine is, Blythian has rushed off to prep for the party. Bellamy and Echo come into the tavern. Raven wants them all to go back to the ship, but Clark says they can't isolate themselves or they might offend their hosts. They have to be part of the festivities today.
0: Quick question. You think the writers are Anna Green Gable <laughs>
1: So Gilbert Blythe and Anne, Anne of Green Gables.
0: So I'm saying,
1: cause so the way they spell Anne is A-N-N. And if anyone has read Anne of Green Gables, it is definitely Anne spelled with an
0: E. It's true, but I feel like the combination of Blythe and Anne back-to-back like that, it's it's like too much of a coincidence to be accidental. Like, it has to be.
1: I don't know. I feel like if they were making the reference, you gotta put the
0: E but at the end like of Anne. But they, like, misspell things all the time on this show. It's like a tongue-in-cheek. It's very important Ask Anne to I, add the E. Hey, <laughs> as like a diehard Anne of Green Gables fan, like I get how important that E is, but I'm just <laughs> saying that this is too much of a coincidence to be an accident. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Um, I love how Raven like zeroed in on the motorcycle. She's like, you know, you get, there's like one thing in this world that brings her joy and it's like technology and machines and fixing things. And she is in such a bad place right now mentally and like this is almost a lifeline for her.
0: Mhm. I love it.
1: Um also, is it odd they brought motorcycles to this planet? They don't have any other form of transportation. It doesn't seem it's like just a like vehicle? Yeah, it's like just like a few motorcycles.
0: Yeah, I guess they were thinking they weren't sure what the terrain was and motorcycles are much easier transversing like a large range of different kinds of climate and terrain and maybe cars are. I don't know.
1: I I don't know. I'm I'm just curious. I love the motorcycles. Well so. I love that the characters get to ride motorcycles this season. So I, <laughs> I
0: I don't care. <laughs> but real talk though, I do have a serious question. Uh-huh. Um are Jay and Blythe Ann Delilah's real parents or are they her guardians? Because they also seem oddly happy and carefree for people whose daughter is about to be murdered. I think they're her
1: real parents. Um, interesting. i I know that like you want to talk about your theory that they're well, I
0: feel like it's very possible that they have a system in place where they identify newborns as nightbloods and recognize the danger of letting them be raised by their own biological parents. And so they would remove them and put them in the care of like a guardian family. Like we see Jade is Rose's guardian. I don't know if she raised Rose or if she, like, you know, lives in Jade's house. But it seems very likely to me. Like if this were a system where you are systematically taking nightbloods and harvesting their bodies, um, it's very likely that they would put them in the place in 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 the care of guardians who understand their purpose um, with the intention that they will be raised for the slaughter. I mean, I understand it. You can't raise a baby and not grow to love them. But I do think there is a difference between somebody who's like. Raising their child Their biological baby I just think it like Again mitigates the risk So I don't know Yeah
1: I I really do think They're her real parents I don't think that This society views it As like You're losing your child I think again They've all been drinking The Kool-Aid They're seeing it as like Your child is becoming a god Um, And so While we're like "Mm, That seems a little crazy Aren't you guys like Freaking out I don't think that they See it the same way um, and I, I just, I don't see that there would be much of a difference between like letting someone else raise a child and having their parents still be like around in the village, and then letting them raise it. Like it's yeah, just-
0: yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that my theory is 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 plot is um flawless, but I, I, do it just like their carefree attitude and the fact that they've met Priya before, so they've seen this process happen. They know what it means, like just seems really unbelievable to me but maybe i'm just too emotional and, and like transferring it's a that.
1: weird society yeah <laughs> yeah
0: i did want to note also the use of future tense. um Blythe Ann tells raven that she will like priya which is means that like she is going to like her not that she would have liked her in the past um so that's an immediate cue alarm bells right off the bat i mean we already know what's coming but i think it's interesting that they switch to the future tense here um, yeah and I, I don't think Raven picked up on it No either. no but we are supposed to Like we should pick up on it Um, Question for you Do you think that Raven You know even if it's an, on a subconscious level Is picking up on like some weird vibes here And that's why she wants to go back to the ship Where it's like safe No,
1: i just don't think raven wants to be around people right now especially people that she doesn't know Mm -hmm. um i don't know if raven is picking up on alarm bells any more so than like anyone else in our group is picking in fact raven has actually been kind of gone from a lot of the like creepy things that have happened it's um bellamy and echo and clark who have been seeing a lot of like awkward things you know things they can't quite explain all the like hallowed be her names, and the like now commencing daily tai chi, like all of this stuff that Raven wasn't quite here for. Yeah. Um. So, I I would I guess I would say no more than anyone else. Okay. <laughs> um. I do wish that Murphy had been in this episode just to kind of complete Clark's apology tour because we get Raven's apology, we get um, Bellamy's apology, um, and then Clark is becoming Josephine at the end of this episode, so. I don't know when she and Murphy will be able to have a like, you know, real heart to heart if mm-hmm. they ever will. um, unless we're like counting last episode with Clark's kind of throwing the apology in her face, like, I'm sorry, okay. I'll be the bad guy, that kind of thing. but that doesn't really feel like an apology. no, to me. I don't I
0: don't think that's the same thing as Clark, like in her right mind saying like a, a genuine apology. Um, I do wish he was in this episode just because I love him and I think he makes episodes better. He does. Um, but I, there's a lot going on here and Murphy does tend to steal the show whenever (laughs) he's around. So I, I get why they couldn't have him in this. Yeah.
1: All of Sanctum is called into the square for a first confession. The Primes stand on the balcony above everyone. Russell says today they observe the four pillars of Sanctum. Repent, renew, rejoice, rebirth. And then he starts off the first tradition of naming day, making amends. He apologizes to Kaylee about leaving Kaylee's family outside during the eclipse, and they hug. Then Russell tells everyone it's their turn to start making amends.
0: So this is a really fucking tidy uh, chant that they've got here: repent, renew, rejoice, rebirth. It's yep. just four like four R's. <laughs> so convenient. Um, and all of them are metaphorical, right? Repent is something that you do internally. Renew is this uh, is this like metaphorical idea of, of spring returning and f- refreshness and all of these things. And rejoice is an emotion. Um, except for rebirth. That one is real. That one is a literal thing that we're doing here.
1: Well, it it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that our characters think it's metaphorical at this point of like, oh, you've relieved yourself from all of your sins and now you're born anew. Um, well, sure. But, but obviously that it's is not true.
0: real. <laughs> so that's interesting. They literally mean rebirth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, does Russell seem in his, you know, quote unquote apology, does he seem like a little bit disingenuous? Like, I can't tell if I'm just being skeptical because I'm skeptical of Russell as a person or if this whole thing feels like super performative in front of the group.
0: Um, I also picked on that up on that too. And it feels really performative to me. I don't, I mean, I think Russell's really complicated, right? I mean, yeah. like all of the villains on this show, um, or I should say antagonists, where he's not a hundred percent evil he's not a hundred percent villainous or you know manipulative i do think there, like you were saying earlier i think there is a large part of him that that feels the weight of this burden and the sacrifices that his people are making for his family i just think that this particular speech you know we know how much stress he's under we know what the implications of all of these things that are going around in this speech is making it seem like this is every other naming day they've ever been through. And he's like kind of going through the motions in a really upbeat and optimistic, positive way. And we know that that's not really how he's feeling, which gives this like added performative element to the speech, um, which I think is is not wrong.
1: Yeah, I just feel like making apologies in front of a group of people when those people are not kind of part of your apology it just doesn't feel true to me
0: agreed yeah I think an apology you know is is a thing between the person and the person who you have wronged and it should not be a performance or a show for other people's entertainment or instruction um and on the flip side of that I'm curious do you think Kaylee is buying this apology I mean at the beginning she seemed a little wary of it but then she seems to really feel his empathy and I can't tell if this is also for appearances sake or or her own safety that she's worried about or if she's like genuinely feels like this apology is earned and she wants to forgive him
1: I you personally saw her as he started this apology her just being like in her head like screw this guy like I am so over you yeah and all of your performances and then kind of as it kept going she realized that she had to um reciprocate because they're in front of a crowd Mm -hmm. and because she just like flips the switch really quickly and goes
0: and hugs him um i mean it's a very emotional it is she like grabs the back of his head her eyes are squeezed shut i mean like but it, it didn't feel like there
1: we we didn't see her get there on her face it was like her first being like I hate this guy. Like, you could just see her screaming that. Mm -hmm. And then, like, immediately switch to hugging him. Maybe I'm, like, reading too much into this. No, no. This
0: is the question I ask, because I'm not sure. But I also think, like, this ties really well into what you were just saying about, you know, uh, making an apology in front of a crowd. Like that puts so much of the burden on the person you're apologizing to to accept his forgiveness regardless of how you're really feeling because what are you going to do there's 200 people watching you what are you going to be like no fuck you it's
1: like a public proposal you know
0: (laughs) you you know the pressure is really on to like seal the deal here um and that just lends an element of disingenuous to it all yeah feels very fake
1: it does i agree Um, we do get a cool little connection here between what Clark and Bellamy have done many times, which is closing the door on someone that you love, or at least in Russell's case, we, he purportedly loves, um, somebody
0: who is his person, like one of his people. Yeah.
1: Like having to make that difficult choice of like their safety or the rest of the group's safety. And Clark and Bellamy have done that many, many times, at least once a season. Right. Right. (laughs) Right.
0: But when they apologize, I believe them.
1: Oh, sure, because they love each other, yeah. um, but I'm still a little bit less clear on how all of the Primes relate to each other outside of their kind of performative societal aspects. Like, yeah, I, I want to see, see their relationships behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Clark finds Raven in the tavern and apologizes for the gorge, for McCreary and his army, and for Shaw. Raven can barely even listen to Shaw's name right now. Clark tells Raven that Shaw's last words were for Raven to be happy, but Raven tells Clark that she turned Raven and Shaw in and Shaw was tortured because of her. Then she says the only difference between Octavia and Clark is that Octavia doesn't pretend to feel bad about the horrible things that she does. (sighs) Woof. Yeah. Rough scene.
0: This was brutal. It was really hard to watch. There was so much ouch all over this.
1: The princess mechanic friendship has always been a pillar for me it's been one of my favorites to see but in the last scene or in the last um season
0: maybe even two seasons yeah um it's been a little rough yeah it's been strained
1: we know raven we can tell here that raven knew clark would be coming to apologize she's like am i the first stop on the apology tour um and it's also clear that raven had already decided before clark even came in that she was not going to forgive clark
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is really brutal, and before we really get into the meat of Raven of it all, I mean, I did quickly just want to ask, do we think the writers added this, like, very Shaw-heavy mention here before we meet Riker, just for the purpose so that it's clear that Raven hasn't forgotten about him, or, or, I mean, this felt, like, organic like it didn't feel like it was misplaced at any point but I do feel like it's very convenient that we get this like really heavy Shaw moment and then before we get the introduction of Riker
1: I personally don't think so um in fact it's if anything it's the Riker that feels like a surprise to me like out of place almost yeah yeah um but I think that Raven is obviously in such a terrible, terrible place right now. And a lot of that is to do with um, Shaw, who she was coming to care about and who died uh, prematurely. And I think she kind of I I think that the fact that Shaw died when they were on this on this trip to, you know, find this new society is making her feel um, even worse and even less um, ready to accept Clark's apology than if Shaw had been alive.
0: Yeah, I think that's true.
1: Uh, So let me just read this quote here from Raven, because we kind of talked about it a little bit when the trailer came out, Um, but I know you had a few more thoughts about it, and I'm still trying to kind of think through my own thoughts about it. Yeah. So Raven says, every time that you do something horrible, you say you're sorry, but then you do it again. Clark Griffin and her impossible choices at least have the balls to stand by them. Um, And I don't want to dwell on it too much, because again, we did talk about it a little bit before, but... Do you agree with what Raven is saying here?
0: I mean, I think what I want to say is that I, I deeply resent the way that Raven m- paints Clark's choices as impossible in this mocking tone. Because that's exactly what they are, and that shouldn't be – That's not it's not a joke. Yeah. You know, like, Clark is faced with impossible choices, and she weighs the consequences of each choice that she makes for good or for worse – um like we've said many times there are no good answers and usually that she only has to pick the least of the worst and i i just deeply resent the implication that she at any point takes the easy way out or uses this as a as a way of of excusing her behavior i don't know i it's i'm really i'm in a tough spot here what about you
1: in my opinion i mean yes clark has faced impossible choice after impossible choice. But I also feel and people might disagree with me, but I feel like Clark has made the best choice that she could with the information that she has in pretty much every situation except maybe last season. So I think Raven is kind of throwing this in her face as like, you know, you turned us in to save your daughter last season um, and that's pretty screwed up. But I think that's the only time Clark has perhaps made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can make a wrong choice with all these bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just... I think that like she's talking like Clark keeps doing it again and again. Making these like impossible choices and feeling bad about them. But it's like, of course you're going to feel bad about them. The kinds of choices that Clark has to make always end up with someone dying. And it's like, but there are no other choices. Yeah. And Clark like hates that she had to do it but she still stands by those specific choices I think last season is one of the first times that she might not actually stand behind a choice that she made
0: yeah I think that's fair and I think you're right and that you know it's really easy to to throw rocks at people and criticize the way that they choose to lead but until you're ready to step up and make those choices yourself and be the leader you know you don't really have any room to criticize which I think is also a problem here
1: um, so kind of jumping off of that, what do we think about the comparison between Clark and Octavia? Because quite honestly, that's one that I'd never thought too much about.
0: <laughs> yeah. I thought it was fascinating that um, Raven was saying how, you know, the only difference between them is that Octavia doesn't pretend to feel bad about it, which I think is just blatantly not true because I think they both feel really bad about the choices that they yeah. <laughs> made. Um, I think that Clark just has a better way of expressing her distress over what she's done and Octavia's only um, form of expression is more violent. It's
1: actually kind of the opposite it's Octavia who pretends not to feel bad for the things that she's done
0: Right um, and the fact that Raven is either incapable or refuses to acknowledge the truth of that um, is just shows that she's not she's not really in the right headspace to be having this conversation in the first place she needs to cool down she does
1: need to cool down. I also feel like Octavia doesn't usually make what I would consider impossible choices. Um, you know right. Octavia makes choices sometimes they're okay sometimes they're less okay but it's not the same as Clark having to choose like do I save my friends and family or do I save the mountain men you know like those are very different things yeah
0: and a lot of times Octavia's choices are directly affected and in consequence of herself and herself only and Clark's re- responsibilities and her choices are affecting everyone yeah Um, So it's very hard to compare the two and a really unfair comparison, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did, just very quickly, because, again, I know we've talked about this a lot, but I just wanted to say, because I saw somebody on Tumblr, and I'm sorry because I, I can't remember who it was, but they mentioned how part of the part of the issue they have with Raven this season is the one note that the writers have been giving her all season it's not that I disagree with anything that she's saying I understand the point of the place that she's coming from I can deeply sympathize with everything that she has been through and the suffering that she has been through at the hands of Clark even I understand the strain between their relationship I think that the writers have illustrated it very well Um, everything is very earned my problem is is that that's the only kinds of scenes that they're giving Lindsay morgan to do this season and it's just very flat it's very one note and i want them to be giving her um a variety of kinds of scenes maybe not with clark but with other characters so that we can see that she's still a complex fully dimensional person who has more going on than just this hatred fueled and aggression toward clark um and then this we get this you know we get this later this episode so all of this is to say that I'm hopeful that this isn't going to continue and that I am optimistic that we're going to get this kind of character um, uh, development more fully in the rest of the season.
1: I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. Okay. Um, I do see what you're saying, but I also feel like Raven has had a lot of interactions that's outside of Clark this season, you know, with... In the first episode, it was her and Shaw. In the second episode, it was her and Yoza and then trying to save save the ship. Um, In the third episode, she wasn't in it too much. But I think I just mostly... It's hard for me because I completely understand where Raven is coming from. It feels very in character. And I still feel like she's a highly complex person and she's just in a really bad place right now yeah um but at the same time it's also just like me as a watcher i'm tired of watching the fight between clark and and raven and that is that is not um compatible with what i think the show should be doing because i do think that raven more so than anyone right now would be having a hard time forgiving Clark.
0: Yeah, I think maybe just the way they dramatize it is what we're sticking to. Is that sticking out to us? It's not, it's not the why or the or the who or even the what, but it's kind of the how.
1: I also wonder, too, if it's, since we saw that quote um, in the trailer, we've thought about it so much since then yeah. that maybe it feels like we're seeing this conflict between them more than we're actually seeing it.
0: I don't think so you don't think so I think it's a lot we've talked about this a lot it's in it's at least once or twice an episode I mean we do
1: get like usually like a quip an episode yeah, about just a, like screw you Clark it's a lot but that I mean like I still get that like this yeah. is the first time that Clark has actually apologized to Raven and even though Raven like isn't ready <laughs> to like hear it right now um, I I do understand like before this the fact that Clark hasn't even tried to be like hey Raven sorry that you and shower were tortured because I turned you in you know yeah
0: yeah I don't know it's just it's really yeah, I hard. I think we're I'm just I think we're feeling some fatigue and I'm really ready for this to reconcile itself.
1: I feel like we definitely will, especially with um Josephine being Clark now we're gonna get a little bit of a different dynamic with her and Raven sure. um and then also with Raven now having <laughs> having another
0: plot line,
1: <laughs> you know, with so motorcycles. We'll get there.' <laughs> I'm
0: so excited to get there, guys.
1: In the forest, one of the children of Gabriel, Tosh, is beating Octavia, trying to get answers out of her about how many Black Bloods are among the earthlings. Xavier stops her, saying that the old man will talk to her once they get back, but Tosh says they don't know if he's even alive. Tosh wants to burn the heads and kill Octavia and Rose, but when Xavier threatens her with a gun, she backs down. Octavia promises to Rose that she won't let the children of Gabriel kill them. <laughs> so first off... Xavier Holy Wow shit. I am so
0: into him this episode It's problematic But I ship it I ship it I s- mean So hard Is it problematic It's problematic Because Octavia's not ready to be dating Well that's
1: true I mean that's the thing And I said it last episode too Still ship her and Nyla Still don't think she's to be dating But I still am like on board I am
0: ready to set sail The Xavier
1: tavia ship <laughs> Sure Yeah
0: Octavia
1: Uh octavia
0: mm. octavier, yeah, octavier. that sounds like a little bit V-er. too close
1: to octavia it's like hard to tell but it's, it's an it's amalgamation
0: like the v's i'm into this and i'm naming it and okay and well i'm gonna it.
1: say what did i say i don't know but my mine's, mine's, <laughs> mine's better
0: octavia is the ship name from now on okay for you for everyone for you for all people for you
1: <laughs> Wait, blood is what, what was what is her other ship names what was her in Lincoln? Link-tavia? Linktavia? Yeah. What about her in Ilian? I don't
0: remember. We're
1: going to come to you with a definitive answer of this ship name. Like next episode. It's, Mark my words. It's Octavia. It's not. There seems to be a lot of division within the Children of Gabriel itself. Like we see Xavier and Tosh fighting, but there's also another unnamed girl who's on Xavier's side. And then later we have a man on Tosh's side. Um, I, I'm curious to see if this is like more specific factions within Children of of Gabriel, or if this is just kind of like people fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it
0: just like infighting, or actual like lines drawn in the sand? Yeah. Like because you like me.
1: clearly, Xavier here is the more sympathetic one, um, but I don't know if that's just because he's a better just because he's a better person, person yeah. or yeah. if that's because like there are some members of the Children of Gabriel who believe. One thing, and some who believe another.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good question, and I can't wait to learn more about them.
1: um Tosh does call Xavier an errand boy for the old man, mm-hmm. and it makes me think that Xavier has a stronger connection to him than maybe anyone else. Like I don't know, a son, a grandson. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just, I feel like Xavier knows him in a different way than the others.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um. I don't know if that's like totally compatible with the idea that nobody's met him before. Oh, if wait, are even, we
1: off? Are we operating under that idea? I mean,
0: it doesn't seem to me, like, Xavier has not ever mentioned the fact that he, like, knows him or, like, has spoken to him.
1: Oh, I feel very differently. Okay,
0: well, maybe I just met it, read it wrong. Um, I guess we'll find out. I don't really know. To me, it sounds like they all knew him, but
1: then he, I don't know, had a change of heart or just decided he was done with all of this, and then he, like, left, left them. Left them. And they're still trying to, like, get him to either come back or get them to like join up together Mm -hmm. um I mean that's how I've been seeing it yeah
0: yeah I see what you're saying that makes sense to me I don't know there's just like so many things going on with the children of Gabriel it's really hard for me to track yeah what's happening that's true um so yeah I guess we'll we'll find out I have a question another one Mm -hmm. do we think that the old man lives in the anomaly that they mentioned or is the anomaly some kind of oracle that will tell them where he is
1: That's an interesting phrasing of the question. I personally do think that the old man, quote unquote, is inside the anomaly, which is now, I guess, what we're calling the green swirly do. Yeah.
0: Okay. Are we going to have to get rid of that
1: green swirly do name and move to anomaly? I think we're now officially going to adopt
0: green swirly do is henceforth known as the anomaly capital A.
1: I think in my head canon right now, Gabriel or i'm not gabriel i guess it could be gabriel (laughs) whoever the old man is used to lead the children of gabriel then he left and just like pieced out into the anomaly they have no idea what happened to him inside there i mean i do think the anomaly might show you things or do things to you that is oracle like Mm -hmm. um but i still think he's in there somewhere okay what about you
0: i don't know the first time i watched it that was my instinct but then the second time i watched it there was something i don't know i just stuck on something that made me feel like maybe the swirly do or anomaly is not the destination but the the guide map yeah um i'm not sure why i just stuck on it
1: i mean whatever the case i would really like someone to just walk into the anomaly because i want to know what happens to them (laughs) i
0: mean either way let's go to the anomaly (laughs) like it's time for the swirly do yeah um and then my last question is, so at this point, do we think that the old man is actually alive?
1: No doubt. Zero doubt in my mind.
0: Do we think that he's Gabriel?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. I
0: was, I mean, I am inclined to say yes. That seems like the obvious answer. I would not say
1: no doubt is he
0: Gabriel, but I, I am do. am inclined to th- say yeah. that he's Gabriel, but it would not be above the show to pull a switcheroo. Yeah. It does seem very show-like to lead all the signs to one answer and just to like bring in the actual real truth at the end. So we'll see. Yeah. Um,
1: And lastly, these people really talk um, a bit cavalierly about murdering a child. Yeah.
0: Especially one that they're trying to save.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know that it's, it's, I mean, murdering is probably not good ever, um, but it's a little bit different if it was like a grown adult man or a grown adult woman than it is a little girl Uh, (laughs) that you're talking about killing in cold blood. Um, And so, yeah, Tosh is a little bit, she's a little bit sketchy. I'm not sure I want to be part of her rebellion.
0: She's really murdery. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, But moving on. The children of Gabriel tie Rose and Octavia to a tree. Xavier comes over and drops his bag on the ground, which has a knife sticking out of the side. He tries to give them food, but Octavia kicks it away. Xavier tells Octavia that she'll tear through the radial artery before she tears through the ropes. And when he walks away, he leaves his bag, and Octavia grabs the knife. Later, as the children of Gabriel argue about what to do with Rose and Octavia, they discover that the two of them have cut through the ropes and escaped. Womp, womp. Womp, womp. So before even getting into that, what the hell is that food that he's holding?
0: Personally, I think it's prosciutto.
1: I like think like meat.
0: I think it's ham. I think it's like I really think it's beef jerky, but it looks like prosciutto to me.
1: I feel like it looks like a plant to me. Um, it did not look appetizing, whatever it was. Yeah, it
0: looked like really raw, kind of dried out strips of meat.
1: I guess if it was an animal, it would be like a lizard or a snake or something because it sounds like there isn't any bigger sort of game on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's a plant, like a funky looking
0: plant. Okay. It kind of looked like
1: seaweed to me almost.
0: Like reddish, pinkish seaweed. Kind of.
1: But whatever it was, I didn't want to eat it. I get you, Octavia. Yeah. Octavia doesn't <laughs> want to eat it either. Um, and there is... There is some, like, sexy hate flirting
0: going on here. I feel so blessed. They gave us so much flirting in this episode, which we will get to all of the other (laughs) flirting later because this is just the tip of the iceberg. But, oh, my God. We are so used to giving and now we get to receive. I just, I feel so blessed. Thank you, writers. This is what I live for and I love you. I
1: mean, like, let's be real. We get maybe one ship a season and that is if, you know, we're being generous. Oh, yeah. Um, so the fact that we got what is considerably like two pretty overt ships. Solid ships. In this episode is and like. And
0: then like a half a ship. Yeah. <laughs> Plus Jordan and Delilah. Yeah. is, is pretty good. It's I'm a, real it, into it's it. A, you know. What is it? Riches something? Embarrassment. Rags. Oh, an, an embarrassment, embarrassment is riches, of riches. Is the word. <laughs> I can podcast. This is fine. Um, I did just, you know, favorite hate flirt is you have a gratitude problem. Is my favorite. It was so good.
1: If you know me and Britt, you know we love a good hate-to-love ship. It's
0: my favorite kind of ship. The
1: best kind of ship.
0: And then my other favorite ship is is a... Best a, friends? <laughs> no. no. That's mine. No, I wasn't going to do that one. We'll get to mine in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's also in this episode. Okay. Um, I am very impressed that Xavier even knows what an irradial artery is. Like, wow, are you a med student?
1: Okay, but... My way of thinking is if you live on a planet that's like trying to kill you all the time and if you also know how to kill people, which it seems like Xavier probably does, you'd know what the radial artery is. Would you? I think you would.
0: And do you you know the medical term for that? Yes.
1: Yes. Especially if he's been trained by Gabriel, who was a scientist slash doctor himself.
0: I don't know. It seems like a stretch to me. Um... And also, he one hundred percent left the bag on purpose, right?
1: Oh yeah, he was not liking where this discussion was going. That <laughs> yeah, was very
0: ominous. Like his Let's
1: murder the child. <laughs> his face when um they realize they've escaped, Octavia and Rose have escaped, is just kind of like, yep. Yeah. Like, like he, everyone else runs off, and he just like doesn't even move. He's
0: like, oh my god, they have escaped. Oh no, <laughs> what shall we do? <laughs> it was so great great it, scene great scene guys it
1: really just makes me love him even more oh yeah I love him I love him I love him <laughs> Britt and I have divided the ships of this episode I, her. I hey that's why I get to name Xavier and Octavia and you don't fine you can name Riker and Raven that's hard, way harder it's the same either way Rike Rake, Riker Rake, Riker Riker <laughs>
0: I'll work on that okay.
1: <laughs> Anyway <laughs> In the tavern Clark is tying a strip of paper onto a lantern She goes over to Bellamy And tells him that the lanterns supposedly float And take their sins away And she says she wrote down leaving him in pol- pol- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I wrote Polish Um, In the <laughs> description here Leaving him in Polis Was he even in Polis? That was Polis right? I don't know Leaving him in the bunker to die is what I really (laughs) mean.
0: She left him in the bunker.
1: Uh, I don't know where that bunker was. (laughs) (laughs) She apologizes for that. And Bellamy says he knows that Maddie is her family. But Clark says that Bellamy is her family too. And she'll never forget it again. And they hug. Oh, my God. Um, So, obviously, before getting into this scene, which is, you know, the best. um, I really actually love the symbology of this tradition. uh, The, like, tying your sins onto a lantern, letting them float. But I hope that a part of that is like sharing your sins and like m- the making amends part of it is kind of intrinsically tied to like being allowed to let your lantern float into the sky.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like it as like a, like all of it is like a part of this, like making amends tradition, right? So you like air your grievances, you make the amends and then you can let them go.
1: Yeah. Like especially since. The idea of making amends happens entirely in the mind. It's not a physical thing. And this is like a physical expression of that that is in some way, I think, almost as satisfying as the actual making amends part, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's taking something that was once very painful and turning it into something that's very beautiful. Yeah. um, Which is lovely.
1: Um, And so (laughs) this is the scene. This is the scene that we have been waiting for. This is what we wanted to see between Clark and Bellamy last season, um, and finally, we are getting it now. A little late, perhaps, but, you know, still good that it's here. It's
0: still early in the season, too.
1: Well, but I think it's late because it should have been last season. Yes, Um, yes, that's fair. But it now does seem like they are officially back together as co-leaders, and that's what I wanted for this season.
0: Yes, I mean, and I'm so glad it happened now. Yeah. Instead of... after (laughs) After. well never especially (laughs) i
1: wouldn't have put it past the hundred lately to just like never have it happen but (laughs) um
0: but especially now yeah given what happens at the end of this episode i do have a question it's a very serious question was this hug too short (laughs) Um, It felt short and abrupt to me.
1: I'm pretty sure it was the shortest hug Bellark has ever had. I mean, I don't
0: want to say that I've clocked and timed them, but I can say with some authority that it is the shortest hug that they have ever shared.
1: It was certainly an abbreviated hug. Yeah, I would
0: have liked a full, like, deep sigh, like, head tucked into shoulder, neck region. You know, like a good Bellark hug. We get so little from
1: Bellark every season that it's like... When it
0: happens,
1: we like them to make the most of it. I hope this isn't their only hug of the season. Yeah,
0: they just really didn't make a meal out of this hug, and I really wanted them to. (laughs) I wanted them to lean into the hug.
1: I mean, this whole scene... Was still so good. They were just so soft with each other. And Clark being like, you're my family. Like, you're so important to me. I will never forget
0: that. It was really great. Yeah. I am not knocking this scene in any way. I thought it was perfect. Yeah. Um, but I am curious. Do you think that this is like, we're on solid ground now? We don't have any more work to do? Or do we still have some stuff to work out a little bit?
1: I want to say this is the end of the issues from last season between Clark and Bellamy. Mm-hmm. I hope it is because I just don't think there is enough time to like keep harping on that. I want them to have more growth versus just kind of regressive um, talking about their stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, with Josephine coming in, trying to be Clark, she might stir up some old yeah. things that we're not aware of yet. So Good I'm, I'm going to put Josephine. Yeah, I'm going to put that on the back burner.
0: Okay. We will re- revisit this later on.
1: Um, it is interesting to see the juxtaposition between the way that Clark responds to Bellamy's issues with his sister Octavia and the way that Echo responds. Um, because Clark here, what exactly does she say? She He says, my sins are too heavy for the lantern to float. And she asks about Octavia and he's like, no more amends for today. And then she just like accepts that and moves on. Yeah, she on. drops it.
0: She doesn't push it.
1: And Echo, I mean, we've been seeing Echo this whole season really pushing Bellamy to um make amends with Octavia and he is not ready yet and I think these are very different ways of approaching this sibling relationship and navigating it um, between yeah. these two women Octavia or I mean uh, Clark and, and Echo not necessarily better than the other no, I think, neither
0: of them are wrong
1: I think Echo has her I, I think Echo is right in a lot of ways that Bellamy needs to kind of deal with some stuff but at the same time I think right now Bellamy also just needs to like be alone with his thoughts and like parse that by himself. Yeah. We're going to get to a point eventually where they're going to have to like, you know, combat those issues in one way or another, but I don't think we're there yet.
0: No, no, we're not. And I also wanted to say how interesting it is to see the juxtaposition between the way that Bellamy accepts, accepts Clark's apology with versus Raven's total dismissal of it. I mean, technically Bellamy has just as much right, if not more to be angry with Clark, But he's able to process it and then move on in a way that Raven just can't do right now. And so I think it's a really great illustration of what it looks like when someone is ready to forgive you and move on and what it looks like when it isn't. And you can also apply that to the way he's feeling about Octavia.
1: Yeah, I will say in terms of like Bellamy being angry at Clark and Raven being angry at Clark, I think Bellamy as like a person is always more ready to forgive and move on than Raven is as a person Mm -hmm. I think Raven holds a lot of trauma and a lot of grudges um that she is able to suppress most of the time but sometimes they'll just kind of come out in full force and you know the way that Clark and Bellamy have always been together like he was always going to forgive her it wasn't even a question you know yeah like, I think it was important for her to actually say I'm sorry, but, like, I wasn't worried.
0: <laughs> no, no, I wasn't worried
1: either. With Raven, it's a little bit different. Um, I do think that, like, leaving Bellamy and Polis to die is probably worse than what she did to Raven, turning her in. I don't know. I'm I not sure. I don't know. Sure. That's,
0: yeah, it's 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 hard to, to apply, like, an actual, like, number. Like, a numerical sign, value. Yeah.
1: But Raven does have a lot harder time forgiving, I think. Yeah. So uh, get ready for your most exciting scene, um, and that is Raven going into the machine workshop, and she finds a guy trying to get a motorcycle to work. Raven asks if she can take a look, and the guy introduces himself as Riker. He says the bike is his mother's, but he let it sit around too long, and now it won't work. Raven asks why he's not at the party, but Riker says he wanted to be alone for a change. Raven thinks he's telling her to leave, but he asks her to stay and help him figure out the issue with the motorcycle.
0: Okay, guys, this is it. This is where Britney dies and goes to heaven. I ship it. I stand them together forever. I ship it. I ship it. The ship has sailed. It's pretty damn good. It's real good. <laughs> this is my other seven, six, second, I mean, after the hate to love trope, which is my all-time favorite trope. My second favorite trope is I love a guy who's really good at fixing things in his dirty, in his hands. (laughs) It's my favorite thing. (laughs) I just don't know why I find it so attractive, but I do. And this is like the perfect combination personality that I want for Raven. I want someone who's like super smart, super capable, super witty, and can like keep up with her.
1: I think... What I was missing, and I I don't know if you said this too, but what I was missing in Shaw was the humor aspect of it. Yes, I believe I did say that. Well, I've also been thinking it for a while. I just... He was very dry, and that's true, and there is humor in that. Yes. But I always liked the way that Raven and Wick interacted, and I'm glad that the actor who plays Wick is no longer on the show because he sounds like he was a dick. Um, but I still miss that kind of... Um, relationship for raven yeah i like the witty
0: banter yeah
1: so i can see this becoming that i mean it's still very early on but i
0: don't care i ship it
1: um i don't know who i ship more is it raven and riker or is it raven and motorcycles
0: it's true motorcycles are having a really good episode
1: today um i will say riker's face when like raven pops in and is like lover spat and he looks at her there's like a second where he looks at her and then does like a like slight double take of like yeah. oh my god this is the most beautiful woman in the planet and she just walked into my motorcycle shop
0: <laughs> yeah and she like knows what she's talking about i also think like what an interesting choice of words that the first thing they say to each other is lover spat yeah i mean it's just so tongue-in-cheek i see what you're doing there writers i see you uh-uh. <laughs> The flirting is so good you know he's like oh the hands that go with that brain i think he means face yeah. I want the face that goes with that
1: brain <laughs> in this workshop.
0: It's just delightful. Everything about this is delightful and I love it. It
1: really is. Um, I, so I will say his name is Riker. And we also hear this name another time in this episode, which is um, that's where they hide during the, su- uh, the eclipse mm-hmm. is Riker's Keep. Yep. Um, any like theories about like how that got its name?
0: No, but I did notice it. And I do like the idea of Riker's Keep being a sanctuary for them. Like yeah. a hiding place instead of like a military arsenal or something like that i like that it's like safety and shelter
1: my one theory is that like Riker, who we saw um in the picture uh that with priya and Riker, he was i don't know maybe like 15 14 maybe mm-hmm. 13 um maybe he like created some sort of like clubhouse or like treehouse or something in that area and then like that eventually became Riker's keep in some way
0: oh I don't know I love that idea
1: um but I I love that we can see kind of the seams of how much these primes have affected the planet
0: yeah being yeah and their mark on everything Mm -hmm. yeah I
1: I have like a sneaking suspicion that Riker and Josephine don't get along interesting and I can't wait to find out if that's true or not okay uh, we'll see. Maybe that. Maybe he was the one she made eat uh that weird plant in episode two.
0: Maybe. Maybe like
1: he's always just like held a grudge. <laughs>
0: I feel like it's Kaylee, and I don't know why. But it
1: could be. It could be. I
0: don't know. <laughs> um. Anyway, getting back to what's happening in this scene, I love how comfortable Raven seems in this place like this is her natural environment she's back doing what she loves she's fixing things she's good at it and I think it's really nice for her to be doing something that you know not only she loves but it also gives her a confidence and a sense of purpose and I think she's kind of been aiming around listlessly with nothing to do and like literally nothing to do with her hands nothing to fix and I think fixing things always grounds her back to a place of neutral that she can help that helps her work out what's happening emotionally as well yeah um so I love all of this and I think it's it's really great so you know I know I've been really down on Raven but I love this scene and I love everything they're doing in this scene and this is perfect
1: I do agree whole wholeheartedly <laughs> with the fact that she needs a sense of purpose, and she hasn't really had one for a while. Yeah. Um, not in, like, a true, like, deep-down way. Like, she's had, like, the drive to survive, but that's yeah, not... Yeah, I
0: mean, and she's been, like, the pilot and, like, all this yeah, other stuff. Yeah, that's not the same thing. It isn't, because it's, she's not actually, like, fixing things, which is what she is good at. And, you know, the idea of fixing something that's broken is fundamental to who she is as a person. Yeah. Um, and you can see, like, her whole demeanor changes in this scene. She brightens up. She's smiling. She's joking. She's lighter. I mean, you can uh, – what a great acting pit, bit from Lindsay Morgan. Like, she just plays this so differently than all the other scenes she's been in so far this season. It's great.
1: And so refreshing. Yes. Um, But I do have a question that I already think I know your answer to, but I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> Is it too early for another ship so soon after Shaw?
0: I mean, are you asking me – on like a mechanical level of the show is it too early yes is it too early for me no (laughs) (laughs) i mean you never
1: really shipped raven and shaw
0: i shipped them last season
1: you didn't you didn't not ship them yeah
0: i definitely wanted a ship for raven i thought he was a really viable candidate i didn't feel their chemistry so much but that's because they like rushed into things last season and then i really didn't feel it at all this season because he was leaving Um, so I wasn't like super upset that he was no longer the ship for her, but the chemistry that these two actors have is so much stronger than what she had with, I can't remember his name. Shaw. Who played Shaw. Oh, um, um, I'll look it up later. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but so that I, I, I can't, I can't be mad about it, but I do, I, I would understand if people were upset by this, I could, I could, I'm not, you know, I get that.
1: I will say it is odd in terms for, like, the season that it feels like Shaw died in episode one and Raven is already getting some semblance of a ship in episode four. I know that that doesn't... Like, it. Like for example, if Shaw had died at the end of last season, I don't think this would feel as odd to me. Yeah. But it's the fact that he died in episode one, that and that doesn't really make any sense, but that just, like, makes it... Feel different. Well,
0: yeah, because it's like one happened in the past season, and this is still the present season that we're working within. Yeah, Um, like
1: I always say that each season needs to have an arc. Um, and Shaw dying in episode one felt like a weird
0: remainder. Remainder, Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, a lot of that just has to do with contracts, and they didn't know he wasn't coming back, and so they had to like tie up that end really quickly. Um, well, I mean,
1: I think back to um, Finn, Lexa, and Clark, where Clark had to kill Finn basically because Lexa was going to have her people murder them anyway, murder him anyway, um, in episode, I don't know, nine or eight, Yeah. and then uh, Lexa kisses Clark only a few episodes later, and Clark is like, I'm into this, but also, like, I am not emotionally ready yet, Yeah. Um. And I liked the way they did that because it does make sense that, like, you can you can feel feelings for someone but still not be ready to jump into something. Maybe we're, like, jumping into something ourselves. Well, that's what I was <laughs> going
0: to say is I didn't get the impression from Raven that she is 100% ready to jump into something here. I mean, no. he, he asks her out on a date later.
1: We'll talk about that. And but-
0: she's not – she doesn't say yet. So like I, it's I, not, it's not about
1: Raven. It's about like what the show is going to do. And I'm, I'm willing to like reserve judgment, especially because I really like this for yeah. her. Um, but I, I'm curious to see what they do with this and what they do with her grief about Shaw this season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something we need to keep an eye on yeah, for sure.
1: So Clark heads into the party in a beautiful dress and Killian grabs her and drags her out onto the dance floor while Bellamy, Bellamy watches. <laughs> Echo comes over to Bellamy and says that if he's going to tear himself up about Octavia, they should just go get her. But Bellamy then picks a fight with her, telling her he's not tearing himself up, he's just emoting like a human, which is something an as Gata's spy apparently knows nothing about. Echo takes this all in and then leaves, and Bellamy immediately feels guilty, as he should.
0: As he should. So first off, has it really only been three days? Because it feels like it's been three weeks. I mean, I guess you and I did the math and that actually makes sense that it's only been three days. But my God, so much has happened. When he
1: said that, I was like, "Mm, I call bullshit. (laughs) And then I went back and like recanted it and I was like, well, I
0: guess. I mean, at least a week. I feel like it's got to have been at least a week, but it really is just three days. So, oh my God. I feel like everybody here needs to be in therapy. If all of this shit happened in a 72-hour period, you'd, you'd be on the floor crying. <laughs> I mean, that's the <laughs> crazy thing about Raven. Shaw died, like, yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh, and how crazy is it to see Clark having fun like this? Oh, it's great. Like, when – if ever have we seen her like this
0: I can't remember the last time but she does it so well I mean it was I was a little I was a little bit like do you know how to do this but (laughs) she does she She, really does she
1: just like lets go yeah
0: she is like into I mean for good reason I don't blame her but um yeah she's she's good at having fun it turns out like everything else she's good at it I
1: think maybe I'm like making this scene up but is there a scene in like the first season where she's like I can be fun and like drinks alcohol
0: that's first season with Finn and after Wells she finds out Wells is the one who
1: right but does she actually say I can be fun yeah okay
0: I can be fun and takes a drink but like she was very much not fun (laughs) that wasn't fun um I did want to mention like what a flex from the show (laughs) Bellamy is watching Clark dance with some hot dude after she apologizes to Bellamy and then immediately goes and picks a fight with Echo like it's not subtle. The show is not subtle. Don't know what they're trying to say, but whatever it is, it's not subtle.
1: I will say, I'm not... I've watched this scene quite a lot because I was trying to pinpoint the direction of Bellamy's His stare. Face, yeah. Um And I'm not 100% convinced that he is looking at Clark just because of the way the camera pans. I can't, I can't figure out where Clark is when the camera pans over. Yeah. Because I she's not in the foreground. There's a different couple in the foreground. So... I I'm not like 100% willing to say they meant to make it look like Bellamy was watching Clark Um, personally I would like to believe so but
0: here's my thing Mm -hmm. I also agree with you upon second and third viewing I don't think it's as clear as the first time I watched it whether he's like actually watching her but I think the camera movement and the direction of going from Clark to Bellamy to him picking a fight with echo is intentional again don't know what they're trying to say, but it's intentional.
1: Well, that's kind of the what I'm talking about because they don't go from Clark panning to Bellamy. There's Clark and then we like get a different shot of the party that then pans over to Bellamy, but it's not the shot that we get of the party isn't quite where Clark is. I'm not entirely sure where she is, but it's not in that shot. Um so that's why I wasn't sure about the camera panning making it look like where he was looking you know Yeah, i
0: don't think i'm, I'm not talking like specific shots for shot I'm, I'm more saying like the the beats of this scene are we are focusing on clark letting go she is now absolved of her guilt for bellamy she is free she is now starting to have a new romantic relationship with a dude and the next emotional beat we get is bellamy picking a fight with echo yeah that's true like that's unescapable
1: i don't disagree with that um <laughs>
0: I don't know again. Not sure what they're they're doing, but that's a fact. <laughs> I will say Bellamy
1: has selective party memory. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure Bellamy, the last party you were at was when you were doing Brie. Yeah. <laughs> Remember
0: that? Another blonde.
1: <laughs> Another <laughs> Clark-like lady. Yeah. Um, and even before that, like, they had a party for Unity Day back in season one. Yeah. So it's been quite a while since you've been at, like, the party on the Ark, you know?
0: Oh, Yes. Many parties later, sir.
1: But sh- that that's kind of like me calling bullshit on Bellamy being like, yeah, that's why I'm upset right now. You know, that's where I can kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah,
0: it's a weird. I mean, he's grasping at straws. Yeah. Oh, it's I'm upset because of Octavia. Not that's because it. Clark is dancing with some hot dude across. Just her. pull some reason out of his ass. <laughs> what have I been most angry about? Oh, Octavia. That's always a good one. I'm mad <laughs> about Octavia. <laughs> um, I
1: so. Okay. I don't like this. I don't like the way Bellamy attacks Echo. It pisses me off. Yeah. I, like, want to, like, jump in front of her and shield her from this. Yeah. And I personally don't quite see what Bellamy is talking about, um, about her not showing him how he feels. Because maybe, you know, I, I watch Echo a lot because I'm obsessed with her. But but to me, and this is, a lo- it, like, mostly due to the actress, yes, Echo is very stoic, but even in her stoicism she's so expressive Mm -hmm. in such a subtle way that I feel like more so than almost anyone I've been able to tell her feelings about Monty and Harper
0: yeah so I have a couple of thoughts here the first is I don't think we're supposed to give Bellamy credit for what he's saying I mean I think he's he's in an altered state and he's not right you know regardless of Of whether we agree with him or not like it's not a good look for him he comes off as a total asshole um and he is I think exaggerating a little bit because he's in a really bad mood I mean Uh, that's for sure yeah um however I I feel like what he's trying to articulate here and maybe I'm wrong but what I kind of picked up on is that Echo out of everyone has been the calmest and the most put together from the minute they got to the ground you know she's the one who during the red sun had the fortitude and foresight to you know knock herself out so that she wouldn't be susceptible to Bellamy's cries she's the one who's been constantly managing Octavia she's the one who has constantly been sort of patching up all of these tension spots in their group she's very put together and I think Bellamy who is a very emotional man resents her ability to maintain calmness. And even though what you're saying is true, she's very communicative, she's very expressive. She has not emotionally lo- lost control. And I think he resents it because he's not capable of, I mean, he's losing control right now. Um, and that's what he's reacting to. I don't think it's the fact that she hasn't been able to express her sadness because she's sad. I don't think it's the fact that she, you know, has somehow become an icicle i think it's that she has been able to have a leash on her feelings and her emotions in a way that he doesn't have control over
1: i think that's a perfect analysis 100 percent. and i totally agree with you yeah um i would just add to that too that i think echo as we see later on has not usually been the kind of person who will talk about her own feelings and her own yeah angst and, and hurt and those things like she definitely like can see them and her friends and family and she will try to like fix those issues but when it comes to her it doesn't seem like she's used to talking about
0: how she feels yeah it's not her natural state and that's you know if that's a sore spot with bellamy there are much much better ways of bringing it up than yelling at her about it <laughs> for when sure he's looking at clark dance with the hot dude <laughs> just gonna say that one more time
1: uh so moving on from that because screw you bellamy in this scene it's
0: not a good look dude
1: not great uh octavia and rose are running rose wants to stop but octavia tells her to close her eyes and tell herself she's not afraid that's how you slay the demon of fear octavia promises she's taking rose home but then suddenly they find themselves surrounded by the children of gabriel Before anyone can move, though, Dioza shows up (laughs) and shoots them all. But Tosh is still alive. And as Octavia goes to take Tosh down, one of Tosh's shots goes wild and kills Rose. Octavia decides to go find Xavier and kill him. And Dioza makes a deal with Jade that if she can kill the leader of the children of Gabriel, then her baby can still live in Sanctum. And so Octavia and Dioza go
0: off on a murderous
1: road trip that we cannot wait to see
0: octavia and dioza for life thank you thank you thank you i'm so excited this is everything i wanted i love this episode
1: as octavia or no as dioza said this really is the start of a beautiful friendship i this is what i wanted like ever since they're seen together at the end of last season these two have been an otp for me oh you my know? god
0: yes and also like can we have daily therapy sessions please like <laughs> like can that be part of our daily routine we wake up We stoke the fire hunt for our breakfast (laughs) have our daily therapy session and then we go back on the hunt
1: (laughs) i just feel like you know i'm sure dioza has her own issues to work through but she
0: just seems so with it oh yeah (laughs) yeah i mean she is i think grounded in a really healthy way (laughs) that octavia could learn from oh yeah speaking of (laughs) this scene was so powerful and i feel so bad for octavia i mean here she is she's been emotionally cut off from everyone around her looking for ways to get herself killed because she's so in so much pain this whole time and she finally finds something and someone to emotionally connect to Rose and then immediately it's taken away from her and the one thing that she was trying to defend and protect has been killed again and so of course Her first reaction is her, always her first reaction is that she wants to go on a murder spree, which is classic Octavia.
1: Yeah. Instead of like feeling feelings, let's just go kill Xavier. And on the way, we're going to feel some feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But no, seriously, I really am loving Octavia's arc this season. You know, I I picked her scenes, I think, in episode one and three, maybe, Mm -hmm. as some of my favorites this season. Um, and I, I don't know, like this scene, I also really loved it. I ended up not picking this one, but it was close. Yeah. There were several scenes this episode that were pretty close. Yeah. Um, but that is really saying something because that's, I think, a little rare for me. Not, I mean, like I, I do like Octavia. I don't hate her like a lot of the Phantom does. No, no, um, I think she has a lot of potential and I've just been sitting here waiting for like, I don't know, six seasons now for her to realize that potential. And I think that this... Could be the start of a beautiful arc for her. You know, we've said it
0: many times, so (laughs) we'll see. But I also have the same hopes for her.
1: Yeah. Um. So, just one question here, though. Do we think it was Tasha's first shot that killed Rose, or was it her shots after Octavia went after her? Because she she shoots once before, like when Dios is like, "Let's check to see if they're still alive." Tosh gets up and shoots and is like, "She's not dead," or whatever. She shoots. And I can't tell where she's shooting. And then Dioza goes to shoot her, but Octavia stops her and is like, she's mine. And then Octavia goes after her, and then Tosh shoots more. hmm Was... When did Tosh actually kill Rose? Because... Are, are we trying to believe here that Octavia is kind of responsible for getting Rose killed? Like, if she had let Dioza kill her instead of going after her, then one of Tasha's shots wouldn't have hit Rose? Or are we supposed to believe that Tasha's very first shot that they couldn't have predicted was the one that killed Rose?
0: I don't know. My first instinct was it was the first shot. Uh, but I could be persuaded otherwise.
1: My first instinct, actually, multiple times I've watched this, it did seem like it could have been the first shot, but I think in terms of an arc, I like the idea of Octavia getting a sense of purpose. All of a sudden it's to save this girl. And then immediately being like the cause of her purpose is destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it would be her fault that Rose died. It's kind of her need for revenge. That's like screwing up the people in her life and screwing up her. And I would like, I like the idea, uh, the idea that that could be a start of like her coming to terms with her like desire for revenge and violence. I um, see.
0: So like her immediate like knee jerk reaction to go after Jade. Well, to stop. Or, or, sorry, to go after Tosh. Yeah, to
1: stop Diosa from putting Tosh down immediately because she wanted to be the one to kill her.
0: Right. Led um, to Tosh's shooting of Rose. Yeah, I don't
1: know if I'm reading too much into it, but I like that idea i
0: like that idea too and I, there's i don't see any evidence to the contrary so let's just go with it okay
1: <laughs> so raven gets the motorcycle started and riker's impressed and he's also suddenly dressed to the nines or Ra- the
0: primes <laughs> but um sorry i made this joke earlier and i wanted to say it again
1: <laughs> i told her she could but then i forgot about it so it's a it's a good joke good on you girl no, it's a terrible joke <laughs> it's it's
0: a terrible, all my jokes are bad dressed to the
1: primes <laughs> exactly Raven thought he was a mechanic, and Riker is, but he is also a Prime who's late for the naming. Riker tells Raven that they should take the motorcycles out sometime, and then he leaves for the party, saying that she should come too. Meanwhile, Clark and Killian are doing a little bit more than flirting.
0: (laughs) If you know what I mean.
1: If you know what I mean. So, were you surprised that Riker was a Prime? Like, did you call that? I did.
0: I I knew immediately.
1: Okay, because I didn't. I didn't call it... I don't know if I was thinking about it too deeply but I was like oh shoot he's a prime oh
0: yeah no the second she walked in and saw his picture on the wall I was like he's a prime
1: that means that he's like well I didn't know that was his picture first off in fact I didn't really notice that whole scene until Riker came on and then I was like hello you know (laughs) it's
0: because I texted you and it was like a new ship a new ship (laughs) I was Um, really excited you guys
1: But I do, I do like it. And I do like that someone is going to have, I'm assuming, I'm assuming Raven's going to have a personal connection with a
0: Prime in a way that
1: none of our other characters seem to have, except maybe Clark and Russell, but Clark became Josephine, so.
0: Well, I also like the idea that we don't have a lot of information about him yet, but, you know, he does seem to have some issues with how the system is working and he could be a, he's potentially a sympathetic character. Yeah. And I like the idea of like, not all primes being evil, right? Like I, you know, that's, that's very one note and very uncharacteristic of this show. I like the idea of there being, you know, um, a little bit of, uh, tension in the, primes. sure. I mean, I don't
1: know if I'd call any of them evil. Um, but they're certainly not good people. And we'll yeah. talk a little bit more later about Riker and his potential this season. Yeah. Um, but For real though If we're talking about Ship names here Yeah no I figured it out Is the ship name Mechanic Mechanic No it isn't (laughs) It's Mechanic Squared Mechanic Squared Okay That's kind of awkward though It's not What about just Mechanics That's worse
0: (laughs) I can't tell if you're Talking about plural Or possessive so
1: Uh both
0: No It's Mm. Mechanic Squared
1: I don't know about that It's my
0: ship I can name it Okay
1: I'll give it to you. Thank you. I'll give it to you.
0: So yeah, this ship, Riker moves real fast. He asks her out on a date in like 10 seconds.
1: Um, Wouldn't you, though, if you like saw the most beautiful girl in the world, like literally the most beautiful girl on this planet, suddenly in your shop like you want to nab that out you oh know my God, <laughs> Jenna, i don't
0: blame him yeah, i would be like, shocked I'm
1: just gonna <laughs> take this before anyone else yeah does. this is mine
0: thank you and i like really i cannot wait to see them like 1950s style ride that motorcycle throughout the countryside with raven's hair like tied back in a scarf and Riker wearing a black leather jacket like oh i can't wait for this it's so great i'm ready i am so ready if you guys <laughs> couldn't tell um okay you know who else is ready Clark Griffin, <laughs> bow chicka wow wow, like get it on, Clark. Good for you.
1: <laughs> get it, girl. Like it's been so long for her. I am so excited. <laughs> she needed this. I mean, she did. She needed the first half of this, not necessarily the second yeah, half it of this. Yeah, been
0: so great. But uh, at this point in time, very excited.
1: Well, actually, at this point in time, like as soon as I saw Killian and Clark like making out about to have sex, and this was like the first episode they'd really interacted that much I was like mm it's not going in a good direction yeah
0: yeah it didn't feel great but I was still excited for her to be with somebody You always
1: know when it moves like super fast it's like there's something that's gonna happen sure yeah
0: <laughs> So we are
1: reaching the end of the naming day celebrations. Everyone is standing in front of the entrance to what almost looks like some sort of cave or basement. Russell asks if Delilah is ready to receive the miracle of sanctum, and she accepts. But before she can follow the primes inside, she turns to Jordan and asks him not to let her be the face behind the glass. A while later, all the other primes come back, but when Jordan tries to get to Delilah, she stops him and looks at him like she doesn't know him. Then she hugs Riker, her quote-unquote beautiful baby boy.
0: Mm Mm-hmm lanterns giving me tangled vibes I love it yeah um but but uh, seriously (laughs) outside of that um quick question they technically gave Delilah the option to not accept their quote-unquote miracle so what would have happened hypothetically of course if she had said no I do not accept this miracle and I don't want it
1: I mean I don't think it was an option
0: I mean, But I also
1: don't think they've ever had anyone say no. So I don't think they know what they'd do if someone said no.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, it would really force their hand.
1: Especially if this is Delilah being the only black blood born um, for quite a while, except for Rose. Um, Like, if it had been earlier on when there was, like, a lot of black bloods to choose from, maybe one could have been allowed to say no. But at this point, it's kind of like she would have had to do it either way
0: yeah and that's just that it raises an interesting question of consent like we were talking about last episode because theoretically like this should be consensual
1: it seems like on the surface that it is but
0: is it yeah um yeah and I think you know maybe we can talk about more the this idea of consent and like what is consent versus, like, being brainwashed in a later episode when we have, like, a tighter grip on what's actually going on here and how much information they actually know.
1: I mean, we know Clark specifically well, is not consenting. No,
0: but I, I mean, like, the... Yeah, so I, so
1: I was going to say, like, in terms of the host, is a little bit more murky, um, but I am curious, and I'm hoping that we'll get the perspective of... I guess it would have to be Delilah, unless it's a flashback. We could get a flashback, too.
0: Yeah, we could. Um, also wanted to call out this beautiful callback to the face behind the glass. Um, this just was really well done. Perfect bow on this episode. Um, really beautiful the way that they tracked this from the beginning to the end with these bookends. Uh, yeah, was, I mean, sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say it was lovely.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that I love the entire metaphor of the face behind the glass.
0: Yeah, it was brilliantly done. Yeah. Good on you.
1: Um, So kind of talking about Riker here. So Riker is a prime, but as you mentioned, he does seem to have some reservations about the things that are going on. There is definitely some tension between him and Russell. When Riker Riker arrives late to the ceremony, Russell's like, oh, so glad you could show up. Um, So I feel like not everything is copacetic between them. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because Russell knows that Riker is kind of questioning their way of life. Um, He also looks disturbed by Jordan and Delilah kissing before Delilah becomes a prime. It's like him knowing that Delilah is about to die and Jordan not knowing it is like what puts that look on his face yeah, when he, he goes in.
0: It leaves like a bitter taste in his mouth. Mm-hmm.
1: And even when his mother returns and he hugs her... He doesn't seem wholly happy about it. It's, like, ex- he's, like, ac- accepting of it, but he's not happy about it. Yeah,
0: I mean, and this is, like, what speak. I think this is, like, what speaks most to his character, And right? You know, you have this, like, beautiful boy who shows up on the screen. He fixes motorcycles. He's flirting with Raven. Oh, shit, he's a prime. What do we do? But... Immediately after there are all these establishing cues that he's not like the other primes. He's not like the other primes. <laughs> um and <laughs> see what I did there. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I I mean I think that's very intentional that we're getting all of these like little itty bitty tidbits. Um which is like signals to me that he's gonna be a good guy. Yeah, I mean, again, I I don't know.
1: Are there any good guys? Well, I
0: mean, in the most basic of terms. <laughs> he
1: hasn't up to this point been acting like one just because he's been like letting people die for him. Although you could make the case if the people of um the sanctum who are hosts know what is about to happen to them, then are you really killing them or are they just sacrificing themselves? Yeah, like what is, is, is the it,
0: is it suicide or is it murder? Yeah. And I mean, but again, we we need to get into like how much they know, how much of this is like brainwashed into their just like practices and normalcy. Is it fair? I I mean yeah.
1: yeah. But I do think that Riker will be the first break among the primes of like maybe breaking to help Sky Crew or to help the children of Gabriel or something. Um, but it does seem like he's 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 on like thin ice already. Yeah, so. he's on the fence. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um also Priya's dress is so good.
0: Oh, my God, her head and her headpiece, headpiece. (laughs) her headpiece is so good. I mean, I love always. I I mean, I think we've been a little lax on complimenting the costume designers this year. But really, it needs to be said. They have done such a phenomenal job with the sanctum, the sanctumites. What are we calling them? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I just, you know, all of the the tones that we get all everything about them you know there's their clothing is so expressive of what kind of character they are everything from russell and simone's very like regal dressing their gold their embroidery everything is very lush very expensive looking to delilah who's basically wearing like a twisty rag (laughs) piece of fabric that's like tied together beautiful because she is beautiful she Mm -hmm. would look good in a paper bag but you know they're like all these visual cues that we get just through the costuming that helps make this world feel so real and authentic and not like we've just been dropped in season six of the hundred in Vancouver um which is really really great but oh my god Priya's dress was amazing yeah holy shit (laughs) um yeah also Jordan finally woke up (laughs) smelled the coffee well I don't think he knows what's going on I mean, he knows something bad has gone
1: on. Well, that's true.
0: He, he is aware. That he. This is not Priya. I mean, this is not Delilah. He knows mm-hmm. this isn't Delilah. I don't know what he knows. I don't think he quite understands the, like, implantation of another yeah. consciousness. But he knows that, that his girlfriend is gone. Um. Finally.
1: Yeah, like, in terms of who will discover Josephine slash Clark later on, I think that it won't be Jordan but I do think that Jordan being so suspicious about what happened to Delilah and him talking to his friends about it whether they believe him or not initially is going to kind of bring them into this awareness of like it's possible there's body snatching happening
0: yeah <laughs> for sure
1: Um, and then finally so Delilah's last name is uh, called out here as Workman mm-hmm. um, and that definitely sounds made up it sounds like someone's last name from like the working class you know yeah for sure so do we think that number one everyone might be named workman who isn't a prime or um maybe they like choose their last names because i'm also wondering the last name lightborn
0: is that really your last name i mean it definitely doesn't (laughs) workman doesn't quite have the same ring to it that lightborn does and i can see if you're like Creating a society, and you're trying to pass yourself off as a god, but you would fashion yourself a name that sounds godlike. You like know, literally
1: born of light, which Bringer. is also very biblical in many ways I mean, as well. Lucifer. Yeah, well, no, it's not. Um, I think that well, there's Light Bringer, which is Lucifer. Yeah. but I think Born of Light is like a little bit different. It like has this like angelic feel to it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that's true. I definitely see where you're coming from, but Lucifer was an angel.
1: Yeah, but so I mean, like, Lucifer saying, was like the bringer of light, which I, I I wouldn't quite. I
0: just think there's like so many similarities here. It's hard to to, to separate the yeah. context here.
1: Um, but I do love the idea of him being like, oh, yes, born of light. That like befits somewhat of my status. And then
0: you will be workman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a very honorable name.
0: <laughs> you will work in the fields. <laughs>
1: oh you're a woman you say your name is work woman
0: (laughs) your last name is peasant (laughs) no no i don't mean anything by it it's totally random so later clark wakes
1: up and killian is watching the naming day festivities killian tells her that not everyone in sanctum believes in the divinity of the primes clark wants to go out and see the rest of naming day but before she can leave she finds a drawing killing killian did of her face and the faces of her friends some crossed out and hers circled killian admits that he's keeping track of who has black blood and when clark tries to leave killian shoots her with a paralytic dart at first, he's going to take her to the children of Gabriel, but when guards come into the room, Killian ends up killing himself so they can't have the information.
0: So first off, let it be said one last time, Killian is hot. Oh, yeah. you know, Killian, gone too soon. But like, what a body. <laughs> what a waste. Abs gone too soon. <laughs> so soon. I'm, gonna, I, I'm sad to see your abs go. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. Uh, this crucible croat. Let's talk about it so there are two sides to every story um this is what uh, killian says and the quote itself is very biblical in nature which is interesting because if you think of paradise lost by john milton it is literally his version of his um, fall from grace um and i love this idea of the angel and the devil and the kind of dichotomy that's being brought up here with all of this imagery I just think it's fascinating that this is the quote that they pick um, and it it's a, it begs the question like who's the devil in this story who's the angel I mean Russell is painting Gabriel as the demon which points to him being the devil but we know that there's two sides to every story so now we're having this reversal as this is happening the naming day process is, ha- is going on and I just I just like all of this imagery is like compounding together in this really interesting and beautiful way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of pointing to who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, if you want to use a, a phrase from many other seasons. Very the broad. <laughs> yeah. um, but putting it into more concrete biblical contexts.
0: Yeah, lots of allusions.
1: Um, I will say I'm curious about why The Crucible was Gabriel Gabriel's favorite play, because, like, what? <laughs> well, I
0: mean, I think what The Crucible... I mean, it's this is a hard connection so bear with me but I do think at the end of the day like if you strip it down to its bare bones like the crucible is about speaking truth to power and um, breaking through mass hysteria to find the truth and I think what's happening here with the naming day is a bunch of people in the throes of hysteria and outside of their you know true faculties or um, capabilities um and just going along with a system that is evil for the sake of the fact that they're they they don't seem to question anything for the
1: sake of their religion
0: yeah <laughs> so there is i think there's context here i think it's relevant no that makes sense yeah
1: um another question how did killian even get a hold of it if it's banned
0: i mean obviously banned books are the first thing you're going to want to find gabriel probably has a copy
1: true but i i feel like You know, they can't have a lot of, like, copies of books here because they don't have a printing press. They did make that one book, but...
0: I feel like it's got to be a phrase that Gabriel says all the time. I don't think Killian actually read it, but I... So do we think Killian
1: has some sort of affiliation with Gabriel? I do. And if we do think that, why weren't Simone and um, Russell more suspicious of him before now?
0: Probably because he didn't go with him.
1: I just have a hard time believing that if they wanted to or if they like believed there was a mole your first thought would be someone who had been close to gabriel i
0: mean unless they played it off really well yeah i mean they could have planned it from the beginning and been like hey i'm gonna leave i need you to stay behind and i need you to sell it go sidle up to russell and make it be like you're his like little you know right hand man always one step behind him doing everything he asks you for um and that way they won't question it when I leave,
1: and then my third question is: Why is it banned? Is it just because it's Gabriel's favorite, or is it also because of the context? Like, if it wasn't Gabriel's favorite, would they still allow it to be?
0: Oh yeah, no, I think it's a banned book, not because of Gabriel, but because its content is so like inciting.
1: Because Killian directly relates it to it being Gabriel's favorite, and that's why it's banned. i don't know it's i like it before like my question about why the crucible is gabriel's favorite play is more of a joke because like i hate the crucible <laughs> we had to read it like three times in high school
0: i really like the crucible i really hate it i really like it And i'm
1: like dude i would not want to read that even for fun so also, go ahead and ban away um
0: what's his face in the movie was like my sexual awakening number 927 <laughs> but holy crap he was so hot so there you go
1: but moving on from that, poor Clark. Like she just wants to have a nice evening. Um, but <laughs> she now just she wants feels, to have a date. Yeah. Now she feels all gross. And I'm trying to figure out: Did Killian really like her, or was this just to get information and like with benefits? Well, what do you think? I think that he was interested in her.
0: I do too. I mean, I think he had a he had a job. He needed to get information from her, and he chose to do it this way because he liked her. Yeah. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. No,
1: I completely agree. But, like, as far as Clark goes, I would feel gross either way. Oh, so. yeah,
0: for sure. Like, you need to take a hundred showers yeah. after this. Or if you're Josephine, just one.
1: <laughs> None. Josephine's probably into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh.
0: Um. And then my question for you is, were you surprised by this twist? Did you see this coming?
1: Um so I was not surprised by it. Well, I mean, besides the fact that I knew as soon as they started kissing that like this was not going in a good direction, I also was trying to figure out, I knew that the mole had to be someone we probably met. Mm -hmm. And the only two people I could think of that like had any sort of role, um, it's that we saw in episode three was Killian, the doctor, and then Blythe and Delilah's mom. Um, I was actually leaning a bit more toward Blytheon initially, but, like, I think as this episode went on, I, I started leaning more toward Killian.
0: Yeah, you were paying way more attention than I was. Like, <laughs> they definitely did, like, a slate of hand here where they were, like, you know wanting you to pay attention to the fact that they're like hooking up so paying attention to the abs <laughs> yeah to the abs so that you wouldn't notice the fact that he is like the most likely candidate to be a mole because it just went right over my head yeah um but this is why we both podcast together because i pick on things pick up on things that you don't and vice versa, vice versa. Mm-hmm. uh so yeah this twist really caught me off guard yeah. did not see this coming <laughs>
1: so bellamy finds echo drinking alone in the tavern and apologizes for being a jerk and taking his anger out on her echo says she feels herself closing off again and that she's been fighting to survive her whole life ever since queen naya took her family's land when she was eight and killed her parents the event traumatized her and she's clearly never been the same bellamy tells her that he hates what happened to her but that everything that's happened to her has brought them here and now they should look forward and not backward
0: so we've said it many times but someone give tazia tell a goddamn emmy mm-hmm. like she deserves it the physicality that she brings to this scene when she she takes on this kind of grief and depression and suffering um that echo is experiencing is palpable um and the control that tazia has over her face as she has to deliver this speech of horrors that that Echo has been through, which is not easy to get through. Like it's a long story she has to tell. And they focus on Tazia's face, and there are very little cuts. And the the depiction of this was just incredible. It was just amazing. She did an impeccable job. Um, I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. There was absolutely no moment that I wasn't enthralled with this story. Her face had transformed, it was swollen, it was raw. You could tell she had been crying, she's been drinking, she is a little looser of tongue, like all of these things are working together, and it was just brilliantly done. I
1: just love her voice. It's so – she's got such, a like, a rough voice, and it's just beautiful to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I completely agree. This scene might have been the runner-up for my favorite scene. Um, oh, yeah. I really loved this scene, and I I just think
0: Tazi Tully's is so talented. I, I just – I love her so much. I know. And I
1: want them to give her more to do, more stuff like this. Yeah.
0: I mean, I was really impressed they gave her this scene – yeah to start with it's a good sign and i'm glad that they're utilizing her many talents because she can do it
1: Mm -hmm. i love the quote um she said about her mother telling her if you cry they'll they'll hear you and so she didn't cry yeah um and i think that really encapsulates the way that she has emoted ever since that moment right of like keeping your emotions inside not letting them see anything that's going on and that's you know something that she's had to deal with her her whole life and fight against and she's might have broken out of a little bit on the on the arc we didn't see it so i don't know but she's sinking back into that now that she's back on the planet
0: yeah and i like that she admitted that i like that she's like you know you're right i am closing off i'm putting up my guards and my walls again i can feel it in myself you weren't wrong the way that you brought it up was wrong Um, but it is something that we should deal with, but maybe we can deal with it together. And I think I'm really impressed with Bellamy in this scene too. I thought he handled this very nicely. Um, and it was the right way, the right thing to say back to her after she just divested herself of the horrors and trauma that she's been through. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard to know what to say back to that. And I thought he did a really good job.
1: Um, it, it is a bit strange to me. Like, we don't know how long they've been together, but if I had to guess, I'd say two years. That's what I was thinking. Um, It's strange to me that, to think that she hid this kind of level of backstory from him for all this time. Like, what did you guys talk about?
0: Yeah, I think this is one of those things where we're sort of retconning a little bit. And we, as the viewer and Tazia, as the actor, need to, like, fill in the why for why this hasn't been brought up earlier um and i think we could speculate on a million different w- reasons but i honestly think that the show just didn't think about it before and this felt like a really good moment to talk about it um and give her a little bit more of a fleshed out background and backstory
1: well it's clear that she had told bellamy at some point in the past that she didn't remember her parents because she didn't want to talk about them um but like it's been 2 years. Like I I think you should be talking about this stuff by
0: now. Yeah, I think you should, but maybe she just was like in space and it felt she felt okay and she didn't want to talk about it and she didn't want to like I, wanna I, bring it up.
1: I get that, but I'm also thinking like that's not quite a healthy relationship if you haven't discussed that like level of trauma after 2 years. Well,
0: and I also think that's what Bellamy's saying in the earlier scene. You know, he's like there's uh, we are not good. As a, as as good as a couple as I thought we were, we're not as solid as I thought we were, and I think that was another thing he was trying to communicate her to her badly, but that was definitely a, a, like a subliminal message before. Yeah,
1: maybe. Um, we also hear here that Naya ordered the execution of uh, well, no, Naya ordered the men that that killed Echo's family to be executed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, interesting to me as well, just because naya had ordered the attack in the first place she ordered them to take echo's family's land and to me that seems like if they resisted like of course they're allowed to kill them um so I, i i'm just kind of wondering why naya chose to turn on them like that and was it just because she saw potential in echo and wanted echo more than she wanted those men
0: yeah, maybe. I mean, that's certainly possible. Naya seems really sadistic and manipulative and really cutthroat from everything that we've so- seen. So it's certainly possible. I mean, it also might be possible that she had given her men orders to kill the men but save the women and children and they just got caught up in the struggle and the killing frenzy and went ahead and, and smoked them out anyway and she didn't like their disobedience and executed them
1: that's true that's true that could be possible if it is though that she recognized potential in echo and wanted to make echo happy i would love to know what she saw in her yeah i I would love to see that
0: myself i think that's way more interesting interpretation i agree with you i hope i would love if that were true i just don't know if we're gonna get any more of that
1: yeah yeah
0: uh do we think
1: So Troy, T R O I, is where Echo was taken for her spy training. Do we think that's Detroit?
0: I thought they said Detroit, so yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I really thought they said Detroit. Oh. And then I forgot that Detroit doesn't exist in this show, and so until you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, they went to Detroit, Michigan. (laughs) So so yes. (laughs)
1: I just love the like way that they disguise place names with new place names yeah, that are still so, based in some way on the
0: old place names. It's <laughs> very clever. I love it. <laughs> um, And just to wrap up this scene, I just wanted to say I am really happy where we ended this scene um, and I appreciate Bellamy being the shoulder for Echo to cry on. It seems like it's been a long time coming and I would like to see more of these kinds of scenes between the two of them in order for them to continue to be a compelling couple on the show Mm -hmm. um so I I do I think overall this is I mean this this scene was phenomenal and I I like their arc as a couple I like their arcs individually as well um and I I hope we get more of this yeah
1: I agree I mean we got so little last season about them being together so I've liked what we've seen this season so me too
0: me too. I mean, I didn't even like or care about Echo, know. and now look where we are, so.
1: <laughs> Clark, still paralyzed, is taken into a basement lab room full of skeletons. Russell lays her on a table, and when Simone questions why he brought Clark here, he tells her that they could wait decades more to get their daughter back, or they could get her back that night. Simone agrees, and Russell injects Clark with a serum that's supposed to erase her mind, but leave the brain intact. We see Clark seemingly pass out, and when she wakes up, she's screaming. But it's not Clark. It is Josephine. Josephine has taken over Clark's body.
0: Holy shit. And
1: it's only episode four. Holy
0: shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit.
1: The season is moving so fast. I had no idea this would happen so early. Me neither. I was.
0: I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was so. Honestly, I thought the end of the episode was when um, Priya came out.
1: Mm, I thought so, too. So
0: I stopped it oh. and then went to go close my computer because I thought it was the end and then saw there was like another 15 minutes left. And I was like, "What the fuck, <laughs> there's 15 more minutes. What's going on? And then <laughs> so then all of this was just like a giant like holy moly. Mm. <laughs> what is going on?
1: Yeah. Um, but before we get into the scene. I wanted to talk about the room because it was hard to read the room um, just from the shot we saw in the show. But they did release this scene uh, it, from the writers' room, so we can see what they wrote out, what this, what the room is supposed to look like, essentially.
0: Yeah, because the camera view was basically only from Clark's POV yeah. or like Russell looking at Clark, so you didn't get like a full scan of the room.
1: Yeah. So the room has lines of skeletons laid out in a circle around a central table. These skeletons face inward in 12 separate rows arranged like the spokes of a wheel. The first of each row has a plaque bearing the name of a prime, and then each skeleton has a Roman numeral attached. A handful of the first skeletons are children. So this tells us a few things. Oh, also, I forgot to mention um, there's Fibonacci spirals that are like, I can't tell if they're actually painted onto the floor or if it's like a light that's like shining them onto the floor. Yeah. And we've seen the Fibonacci spiral too a lot in the um, opening credits this season. So I'm curious how that kind of mathematical symbol of infinity is going to play. Is it just like supposed to be another symbol of infinity like the infinity sign of beccas or is there something more to it
0: yeah i don't know it's a great question but i did notice that imagery um and it's it's really cool to think about so i hope we get more of it yeah
1: um so it does seem like we're getting it confirmed that these skeletons are the other primes who have died mm-hmm. um and that a handful of these skeletons are children the first ones I'm assuming it's because Russell and Gabriel were experimenting on um, the embryos too early. Or not the embryos, but they, like, made the embryos into children. <laughs> and then
0: it, They grew them. They grew
1: them or whatever. Harvested them. However they will. do that. And then um, tried to implant the flame too early. And they killed. They died. Yeah.
0: So. For whatever reason, the brain can't withstand the transition or implantation of, of the chip at that young stage. Yeah. And so that whole flock at first the flock crop the crop will. of children <laughs> i mean there's a lot of harvest yeah yeah, yeah imagery yeah. happening here it's not subtle um that whole crop was wasted mm-hmm. yeah and that's why they have to wait until they're 21. 21 yeah
1: um so but it is confirmed here in this episode that they have their own flame which jason rothenberg is calling the mind drive um it does have becca's infinity symbol on it and then There is a number on the back of each flame. Um, Jason also said they had to jailbreak these mind drives in order to hold consciousnesses. So what do you think these drives were originally used for?
0: It's such a good question. I mean, I don't... I have no idea because I feel like all of Becca's work that we know of up until this point sort of stems to artificial intelligence. So... I would assume it would have something to do with that but I don't know maybe it was just like a literal hard drive. I have no idea. What do you think? My
1: thought I also don't really know. My one thought is they got the idea for these things because they already were implanted with these um, mind drives perhaps as a way to store information they might not know but could potentially need for this excursion like mm-hmm. for example maybe josephine got like the taxonomy mind drive of like everything that earth knows about taxonomy um and like each person who had each different job like priya being the mechanic might have like a hard drive with all of the mechanical things that could possibly be known you know
0: like the matrix you like download all of the information you need
1: yeah kind of i mean like this is just kind of a, a guess because I don't know. I feel like for them to have the idea to plant these mind drives into people, they already would have had to have been in people.
0: I agree. Because
1: Becca did develop them. They have Becca's symbol on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if Becca developed them, they must have been implanted, right? Yes.
0: And th- I mean, the technology, it it's like fashioned in a way that there's n- there's really no other way that it could work unless it was implanted on it, like a brainstem. Yeah. So that for sure is what happened we just don't know what the original functionality of it was
1: and i feel like it would be useful to have all this information because they're only sending four families and some of the families have kids so there's there's 12 primes um josephine's family has three so we also don't know about the other four families i guess do they all have three or does like one have four and one have two because it sounds like priya and her son just had two so um and kaylee's family had four yeah so I guess I'm putting this all together right now, um, but there's not a lot of people there and they're not going to have access to the internet no, or to like any other books they didn't bring with them. Mm-mm. So like having this kind of storage could be useful, encyclopedia. Um, an encyclopedia of sorts. And it would also be a pretty large hard drive that could potentially also store human consciousness if yeah. you, you jailbreaked it. So yeah,
0: yeah that's that'll... my theory. I love that theory. I think it sounds great. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I am wondering if the rate of Nightbloods is slowing down. I mean it it does seem like there is some urgency now that wasn't in play earlier. Simone mentions that their mortality isn't in question suddenly in a way that it hadn't been before. Um and if so, why do we think the rate of the Nightbloods is is <coughs> slowing down?
1: Sorry for my coughing, guys. I'm getting over a cold. Um That's a great question. And I'm not sure other than the fact that if this is like a rare genetic occurrence, it sounds like it's still genetic. So it's still passed down genetically through the parents in some way, even though it's like super, super, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Recessive. It's Mm -hmm. a recessive gene. Um, so if all of the initial primes were nightbloods and if all of the, uh, embryos they came with were also nightbloods, then I think it would make sense that as these nightbloods started procreating and they got more and more red blood children and then those red blood children created with nightbloods, like the, the, like gene itself is getting very diluted throughout the, the time, um, whatever it's called,
0: what Mendels. Sure. Yes.
1: (laughs) It's been a while since I took a biology class. Um, but that's why I think they've just kind of reached a point where there aren't enough nightblood recessive genes in the population um, for them to be Sustained. carrying them and, like, sustaining this nightblood population.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. I get it. And then I also just wanted to talk a little bit about um, the hypocrisy of it all, because, like, they're such stickler. This society is so sticky with the rules, you know? They you can't you have to say "Hallow" be their name every five seconds you can't question his authority they have scheduled tai chi for christ's sake and yet when the question arises of whether or not they're going to skip a person's consciousness their turn in order to implant their own daughters you know they break the rules right away so apparently the rules only apply to everyone else and not to russell and simone and the hypocrisy of that is just Outstanding um, In a nasty way
1: To be fair I don't think they think what they're doing is right But they just They, they want Josephine back so much That they choose not to, to care about it Or not they, they, they care They clearly care about what they're doing But yeah. they choose to do it anyway
0: Well right But that's still hypocrisy Yeah sure It's expect everyone else to follow the rules When you blatantly break them
1: That is true I agree
0: Yeah <laughs> It's not a good look It's bad and you're right. I mean, Russell Russell understands what he's doing is bad, and he does care about Clark clearly, and he's upset that he has to lose her. I think he he has come to care for her in some way, and he is sorry for taking her life. But in the end, it doesn't matter, right? Because the ends justify the means for him, and for he him. and yeah. he wants his daughter back.
1: I mean, it is interesting that Russell really needs someone here in this scene to tell him that it's okay to do what he wants to do. Like he's telling Simone, like, please tell me not to do this and I won't. Um, But what he's really saying is, like, give me permission to do this because I really want to. Right. But I feel too bad about it, so I need someone else to tell me I can.
0: Right. The subtext here is, like, I want to do this thing, but I don't want to share the burden alone.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, he's... It's basically like what Raven was saying earlier this episode. If anyone needs to own the bad things they've done, it's not Clark. It's definitely Russell.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I also think it's fascinating listening to Simone's speech about, you know, the timing of this and how it was meant to be and its destiny and how it just proves that after all of these years when they're facing their own mortality, um, that this perfect host comes along. <clears throat> So it shows that they they really do believe they have come to a place here where they have now started to buy their own horse shit.
1: Oh you know? for sure. They
0: made up all these lies and they're so convincing that they are now believing them to be true. Mhm. And it's just uh, megalomania to like the nth degree.
1: Yeah. I don't disagree. <laughs> um in the script, Russell does say that it took Gabriel over 20 years to perfect the serum. So we do know that they were at least together for that long. Um, and quite possibly they were alone for that long. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, and if they had to grow children. Did they like have a babysitting service for these kids, you know?
0: Yeah, I think his name was Gabriel.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's why Gabriel quit. You never helped me change the diapers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess so, so that was just kind of a little note that I wanted to drop as we're still trying to figure out who Gabriel is when he defected if he's still alive um, and, and what his relationship is with Russell
0: with Russell and also you know I think it shows that initially he wasn't opposed to this system because he helped Russell work on it for two decades yeah Um. before they perfected it so it wasn't like he was originally opposed to he was horrified by this from the get-go it took time for him mm-hmm. to come around to the idea of this being something he can't live with anymore
1: do we think josephine was the first um prime to be reincarnated or simone 100 percent. you think josephine. josephine i mean i guess moving on to josephine um first off josephine like eliza taylor you can already tell just from this tiny scene that like she is going to be amazing playing Josephine. oh my god yeah
0: yeah, she, like, alters her voice. She modulates it. It's, like, a so tiny bit higher, a little bit lighter. Clark has, like, a little bit more gruffness to her mm-hmm. voice. Um, She's so good. Yeah, and it,
1: it does seem like that's why they did the whole hair twirly thing in episode two, because they needed to give her some sort of tick to, like, identify her as Josephine instead of Clark yeah, later on. I think that's right. Um, But I, I, do, I do think that she might be a bit of a, soci- a sociopath. As we, like, go forward, I'm, I'm getting those vibes.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, when she looked in the mirror and was like, I can work with this that's not the first thing i would have said (laughs) (laughs) you know um and again they're they're now gonna have to lie to everyone and try and pass josephine off as clark for as long as they can because they just skipped the line uh which good luck to them
1: yeah i don't think they were planning too far ahead yeah
0: it's a bad idea
1: and like what is someone gonna do you know they've already done it I mean, I'm assuming it can be undone because, let's be real, guys, Clark's not dead. But. Yeah,
0: just – if anyone's curious or concerned, Clark's not dead. Yeah. But
1: That's like, not how you kill the lead of a show. It's
0: also, like, we have already set up protocol and precedence this season, last episode, that that when chips are implanted in the mind – you can assert your own control over them like with Maddie in her training like there's a reason why we put that in the episode and it's this yeah because we need to be able to establish that there it's possible to assert dominance over this foreign consciousness in your in your mind um so I'm not worried about that
1: no um I do think that the real reason they needed Jordan to tell Delilah all of these stories wasn't so Russell would like kick them out of sanctum but really it was so russell could tell josephine these things when josephine got implanted like as from a writer's point of view
0: yeah yeah i mean he didn't know that she had night blood at that point but from the writing it makes sense it's very neat now that they have all of this information that they didn't have before
1: uh this also does confirm the scene that josephine actually did die from a literal fall because that's her first thoughts when she's waking up um russell's like it's okay you're not falling Mm -hmm. um so, I guess that means the question is, was the fall an accident or was she pushed?
0: Well, that is an interesting question that I am sure we will find out.
1: I'm 99.999% <laughs> sure she was murdered because, number one, that's just more interesting. Yeah. Um, and, number two, that means that, like, she's she has information that we need or we want um, because that would be what she was murdered for.
0: Right. Yeah. I think all of the signs point to her being murdered and... I'm sure we'll find out the murderer very soon. Yeah. Um, just going back really quickly to Josephine's initial reaction to seeing her body as clerk and finding herself so attractive. Um, it's just, you know, such a Josephine thing to do and not a clerk thing to do. Um, it really differentiates them and their different personalities really well. But it also begs the question, like, what would have happened if the host was unattractive? I mean, they are really lucky that everyone's so hot.
1: Everyone in this entire society is beautiful, so I guess they're just working with some good genes. Yeah, really. Uh, it's also definitely lucky that they're also attractive and also the proper ages for each other. Like, what would happen if your wife was eighty and you were like a newly named 21? Like, does it matter? Does do they even notice anymore? Yeah. Like Simone and Russell are like the perfect age for each other. They're both beautiful. Now they've just had, you know, Josephine renamed as a teen or like a like mid twenty somethings, which is sure. what she was when we first saw her.
0: And like also biologically makes sense for how old their bodies are at the time like they're like what in their mid 40s that makes sense their daughter would be 21
1: yeah so that makes sense but like for example i have like a sneaking suspicion that kaylee's family like it was her parents and maybe her brother that died and not like her daughter you know i i think we're gonna see some kind of like weird um age you know parallels here not parallels um Yeah. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know why. Weird age things (laughs) Um, that kind of highlight what it means to be reincarnated with these these mind drives. Yeah,
0: there will be some weird gaps and reversals. Um,
1: I mean, it does seem like Riker is older than Priya.
0: Right, and that's his mom. Yeah. Uh,
1: And then my last question is, what about any children the Primes have? Because the whole point of them being Primes is like, to, like, keep having primes made that they can reincarnate themselves into. Yeah. And the only way to continue making primes, or, like, the best way at least, is for the primes themselves to be, like, procreating.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
1: But none of the primes seem to have any other children aside from, like, their prime children. Right.
0: They don't seem to be continually reproducing. Yeah.
1: So do we think that they've had children in the past that have, like, grown old and died because they weren't nightbloods? Maybe. Maybe. Um, because that that just seems like what like Josephine, um, we see in IMDB it looks like she is at some point a like 50-ish year old woman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is in a flashback or if this is what happens to her after the thing with Clark is done. I don't know, but it does you you do think that she like grew old and like had a full life. Did she never have a baby? like she, really likes people (laughs) you know what i mean like
0: you mean men yeah so you know (laughs) i just gabriel
1: (laughs) (laughs) um i had one other question that i just thought of but i have now forgotten it and i'm gonna be really mad because i'm gonna remember it really quickly but it's just another like question about the way that the prime system works and the way that their like society works um but hopefully i will okay. someday think of it. I'm
0: sure you'll think of it. And then we can tweet it out and we can talk about yeah. it with the listeners. Um, okay. So that brings us to the end of our recap. Let's jump into some of our discussion points. Um, quickly want to run through some title meanings for this episode. The face behind the glass. Um, obviously, this can be interpreted both literally as like the faces behind the glass in cryo on the ship. And then also allegorically. Oh, I just remembered. What? Sorry. I knew this was gonna happen. Um, I knew the second we moved on, she was gonna remember. The
1: question was, have they? They've been here for two hundred and thirty-seven years. Yeah. Okay. Clark and her mother figured out how to artificially create Nightblood. Oh yeah. In like literally days. So they either are just really stupid, even though they have a lot of information at their disposal and like a full lab to work with. Mm-hmm. Or there is some reason why you can't create artificial nightblood and like that is going to relate to why Clark will be able to come back from this because Clark is an artificial nightblood. Like maybe artificial nightblood doesn't sustain the primes in the same way. I don't know why that would be.
0: Yeah. Or maybe they just don't feel like it's as divine if they artificially create it.
1: Yeah. But I don't believe that our characters, especially early on, would have believed in their own divinity. Like, they yeah. were trying to pass this off so they can get away with, you know, killing people and get, jump body jumping, basically. But I don't think they really believed it, as whether they do now. It's a little bit more in question. Mm, but sorry for interrupting no, you. No, that's fine. <laughs> I was just
0: going to say, I, I love the way that the face behind the glass is both literal and allegorical for, you know, all of the people that we grieve and mourn for, not just in cryo so it's a beautiful expression we've talked about it a lot on this show and i think it's great
1: yeah it's one of my more favorite titles the show it's has a had
0: beautiful t- title and very uncharacteristic of the hundred it's like very much outside of its wheelhouse mm-hmm. um very um poetic yeah yeah so let's talk about our favorite lines Alrighty. what was yours
1: My favorite line is actually, you know, I loved the title so much that I chose kind of the titular line, which is Jordan saying, they weren't letting me go because I wasn't gone. I became the face behind the glass. And I just, again, I love everything we've talked about this episode about the ways that that title has meaning, um, both for our characters and then just both, like, in life. Yeah. So.
0: It's really, really great. Yeah. Um, What about yours? My favorite line is adapt, improvise, and overcome because I just i just love the way that that defines diosa i could not if you asked me to choose three words to define her like that is it and it is really really impressive and i loved it yeah i agree um what was your favorite scene
1: i mean like i said i i did go through several i loved octavia's stuff i loved the echo um bellamy stuff i mean hell i loved the bell stuff too yeah But my favorite scene has to be the end scene where Clark is implanted with Josephine and Josephine takes over her body. And it's just I'm so excited to follow this thread.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I was having a really hard time picking my favorite scene, too, because at first I thought it was going to be the Bellark scene because obviously Um, I also loved all the stuff with Echo. Um, I ultimately decided to go with Riker and Raven's first scene together in the workshop because honestly it brought me the most joy yeah um it was a joyous scene and it was a joy for me to want to be and spend time with Raven once again so it was a big step and I was very happy um and I love when I'm happy on this show
1: I'm pretty sure the Riker Raven stuff is happening I'm gonna be a little sad if Savior never has you know anything (laughs) more romantically you know if the ship never (laughs) sails I will be sad yeah uh so preview for next episode 605 the gospel of josephine in this episode woot woot in this episode jordan investigates sanctum meanwhile octavia and dioza discover the threats of the new planet firsthand sign me the fuck up so
0: excited lastly
1: bellamy and clark quote-unquote clark buttheads yeah
0: no shit yeah shock yeah (laughs) <laughs> and that is our episode if you would like to get in contact with us you can you can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com that is s-k-a-i-c-a-s-t-k-r-u at gmail.com you can also tweet at us at skycast and you can tweet at us at our own twitter accounts i am at perlman 89
1: and i'm at sarah armacabe
0: and that is our show um there will be a week break after episode 605 so we'll most likely be able to get the next one out on time we will
1: we will get the next one out on time i
0: i think we will
1: no, we will get the next one out on time
0: promise
1: you if i have to like tie britney to the couch we're gonna do it
0: i only say most likely because it is possible i will get pneumonia or tuberculosis you're
1: still gonna have to podcast you damn bad
0: until <laughs> then
1: may we meet again may we meet again <laughs> guys have a great show bye bye